You're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It's time to wake up with the morning boys. On Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And here are your hosts, Ryan Hickey and Mark Kelly. Monday morning and welcome into the morning boys Ryan Hickey Mark Everett Kelly with you on a chilly Monday morning up here in the northeast hopefully everyone is staying warm wherever you are I know we have a a few contingent listeners in Florida and some other southern states so could not be more jealous of you right now is a brisk and cool at least in my car Mark coming in 19 degrees on this Monday morning I guess we've been pretty lucky all things considered um, that this is really the first cold stretch we're having and it's middle, almost towards the end of January. So we have been pretty lucky. Really haven't had too many bad snowstorms or really just brutal weather. But, you know, maybe it even hurts even more when you're not used to uh, the cold weather. I think, it was it last week, we had we reached 60 degrees at one point. Yeah, so it's, last Sunday, I know. You get a nice tease of springtime, and then Mother Nature and comes right back. you just freeze Exactly, right? You have a little, little dusting on Saturday, a little rain, a little sleet, a little snow. Yeah. And now we are back to uh, to Mother Nature, how she intended with, with the winter months coming in But here. you know what was nice this morning um, coming in? I'm thinking a regular Monday morning, all of a sudden the roads are open. I said, oh, my God, what is going on here? But, uh, you know, am I it's just like, like heaven, you know, that God, like, come down and, and, and let my car go through all these cars. But Martin Luther King Day. Happy Martin Luther King Day, MLK weekend. A lot of people are celebrating. And if you are celebrating, not working, we do thank you for tuning in to the Morning Boys and staying on schedule, at least with listening to us. We have a lot, a lot to get to today. As our last show is on Thursday. Yep. And it seems like, at least in terms of the MLB world, the Hunger Games on the internet just broke out as after our Thursday show, yeah. kind of talking about the Astros' um, allegations and the, the sanctions handed down by Rob Manfred. It just, I mean, I think the Hunger Games is the perfect explanation just because it was just a witch hunt. Everyone come after each other. Burner accounts that were linked to relatives that were all of a sudden then debunked and not linked, but were having factual information. We're throwing out these random rumors. All of a sudden, one thing led to another to where we ended up on Thursday with rumors of buzzers being warned by Jose Altuve and Alex Bregman. And it, it ended really, it culminated with rumors that Mike Trout, through MLB, under MLB's watch, is using HGH, allowed to by MLB, as to kind of, kind of uh, help boost his resume, kind of keep him on the field and help elevate his superstardom. Uh, to another level, so it's been Thursday. If you're a major league baseball fan, was a roller coaster of emotions. A lot going on. A lot of information. A lot of bad information throwing out there. It's kind of peak Twitter, peak 2019, 2020. If you want to say, all these rumors that were flying around. Everyone was going with them, carrying with them. It was just a mess. So we'll get into kind of those as both Alex Bregman and Jose Altuve talked at a fan fest event uh, down in Houston on Saturday. We'll kind of. Two different approaches, we'll say, to answering questions. So we'll kind of dive into those comments, why the Astros now have an even bigger target on their back heading mm. to 2020. Also on Thursday, I feel like, you know, I feel like every time our show market happens, big news happens after, right? We do our show on Monday. Boom, Rob, Fa- my man, Rob Manford a few hours later. Huh. I, I can't Mon Ranford. Yeah. You can say happy Monday morning, huh? Yeah. Va- vacation, you know, a holiday weekend Monday morning nonetheless. That's right. <laughs> um, Rob Manford announces his sections for the Astros like two hours after we go off the air. So, obviously, that, that whole thing goes down. And then on Thursday, we talked about what the Mets should do with Carlos Beltran. What mm-hmm. happens a few hours yeah, later, right. boom, he quote-unquote resigns. Another mutual parting away, just like the Red Sox and Alex Cora. 
quote-unquote mutually parted ways. We all know what that means as now, again, the Mets will search for another manager for the 2020 season and why that's important because they, they want to win now. Their window is closing sooner than you know the Mets would hope, so they have maybe one, two, three years to try to win a World Series here. So they have to get this hire right. We'll talk about some candidates that the Mets should hire um, and which route that they will go. But, Mark, obviously a lot – and also, excuse me, a lot of MLB talk. Unfortunately, mostly negative. But we do have MLB Hall of Fame announcements tomorrow. So myself and Mark will give you our ballot if we were, on, if we were Hall of Fame voters, who we would put in. A lot of guys, Roger Clemens, Barry Bonds, Sammy Sosa, Manny Ramirez, obviously some steroid users and rumored to be steroid users trying to get into the Hall of Fame. First-timers like Derek Jeter on there as well. So we'll, we'll give you our ballot. But, Mark, it is the Monday after conference championship weekend in the NFL – Two great games. You had the Chiefs defeating the Titans uh, to go to the Super Bowl from the NFC side and the 49ers dominating the Packers to go to the Super Bowl from the NFC side. So we'll start with the, with the Chiefs-Titans because to me, at least watching this game, if you listen to the show on Thursday, I was on the Titans bandwagon. I really thought that their game plan that they had going into Kansas City, running the ball with Derrick Henry, forcing their will and imposing their will, which they've been able to do both against the Patriots and against the Ravens in their home, in their home stadiums, carrying kind of that momentum they had, playing with a physical defense that at least so far through the first two games, and really the last, since Ryan Tannehill's taken over the last half of the year in the regular season, have been dominant on both lines of scrimmage. Physicality has been key, and they really have imposed their will and have done a great job of playing their style and their identity of football and having opponents play down to that level. So I really thought that because of the way they, they've had success playing kind of their style of football through these playoffs. And with the Chiefs' run defense, as bad as it was, I really thought that the Titans had a great shot, and I thought they would go into Kansas City and beat the Chiefs. But you know what I did not take into account, Mark? That's something you, you know, has shown right now, especially in today's NFL, that shown to be a trump card of everything, if you want to say, a cheat code, if you will. And that's two words, one player, Patrick Mahomes. Mm. I mean, this, to me at least, that was my big takeaway coming out of this Chiefs game. He is a cheat code. I've said this before, and obviously we, we know all of the highlights that he has, the amazing throws, the reads, the no-look passes, the arm strength, the accuracy. We, he has it all, right? He is one of the most talented quarterbacks, maybe the most talented quarterback since Aaron Rodgers has come into the NFL. But to me at least, I never viewed Patrick Holmes, this is an indictment on myself and my logic of thinking here, as having enough talent or being, I should say, good enough to cover up the deficiencies of the Chiefs. And one of those big-time deficiencies was their terrible run defense. And again, watching kind of how the Titans operate, I really thought that establishing Derrick Henry early, getting him going, having the ball in the Titans' hands, having these long drives where the Chiefs just unable to tackle Derrick Henry, which we saw the first two games, having these long 10-play, 75-yard, 7, 8, 9-minute time-consuming drives really put the Chiefs kind of out of whack offensively wear the Chiefs' defense down, take the air out of the building in Arrowhead, and again, like we saw, especially in Baltimore, neutralize one of the most prolific, dynamic, high-scoring, high-flying offenses we've seen in the NFL. But you know what I forgot, Mark? That that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if Derrick Henry had for 100, 200, 300, 400 yards. It doesn't matter if the Chiefs had the ball for even 10 minutes total in the game. Because Patrick Mahomes, and again, we saw this early on, the Chiefs, I mean, excuse me, the Titans basically had the perfect game plan and executed it for the first 25 minutes or so of the game, where they're up 17 to 7, had a few time consuming drives, scored in their first three drives of the game, field goal, two touchdowns, where it's like, okay, 
This is the perfect game plan, right? They're running the ball with Derrick Henry. They're having these long, time-consuming drives. Patrick Mahomes, on, at least on offense, the f first time they had the ball went three and out. This is what they have to do. They'll be on the sidelines. It's a cold day, so think about it. You're on the sideline for a while. You're not really in a rhythm. It doesn't matter. He's a cheat code. He's indefensible because as soon as he comes on the field, whenever it is, right, you can be sitting on the bench for 20 minutes. He comes on the field, leads that Chiefs offense, bing, bang, boom. You want to be physical, it doesn't matter. He'll roll to the pocket. He'll throw to open guys on the run. He'll hand the ball off. And guess what? When everyone is covered, when you drop eight, nine, even ten guys if you want into coverage to take away every option you have, it doesn't matter. Because guess what he pulled out yesterday, Mark? His running ability. He scrambled for a few times. He was the leading rusher on the Chiefs yesterday. So he just showed how indefensible he is. That run he had right before halftime to score a touchdown with 11 seconds left basically put the game out of reach, put kind of the nail in the coffin for the Titans. Because he just showed no matter what you do, right? Because we've seen teams try to defend the Chiefs in so many different ways. You want to blitz them? Fine. Doesn't matter. He'll throw the quick throw, exploit you that way. You want to drop eight, nine, ten guys in coverage? He'll roll out on the run, throw to someone deep, or just have enough time, make enough, you know, happen to where he'll find someone downfield. Well, guess what? The Titans had a pretty good job yesterday, at least, of covering, and what happened? He rolled out, made some plays with those legs, and that exactly is what led to the Chiefs winning that game. To me, at least, Patrick Mahomes, absolute the cheat code coming out of that game. He's indefensible, and doesn't matter the game plan you want to throw at him, he will not be stopped. See, now I know how you did the show by yourself. <laughs> that, that, is an, that was impressive. I, I, I don't think he took a breath. Thank just, you, Mark. Just keep it, I mean, I'm, that, sorry, I'm sorry. I, no, I know no, I, it, uh, it, it really was because I'm thinking, I pontificated man, a little too much. Just, he, no, but you were, you, were, uh, you were right in everything you said. Because it's almost like you were, so Mark, like you're having a conversation with me. Um, and you're Ten minutes me. later. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Mark. So What was that? No, okay, so Mark, so like I was saying. I like it. Um, no, it's great, Brian. Um, yeah, as, as we get into the, today's events, the thing that really impressed me most about the Chiefs is uh, they don't get shaken. And I think a lot of Andy Reid's teams in the past, you know, I've been looking up a couple numbers when he was with the Eagles. The biggest thing was they get behind early and then all of a sudden they're out of their game and they, they do things that, uh, that they wouldn't normally do. They either abandon uh, uh, something that worked all year just to try and, and pass the ball or something. And I think with Kansas City, they stuck to the game plan. And what's so impressive about Kansas City, and you and I were talking about this before, uh, they've had 12 touchdown drives in the two games, and they've averaged six plays, 64 yards, and only three minutes and 26 seconds in those drives. You know, they've had like three or four drives of under a minute, and you know, when you do things like that, you deflate the other team. Because you saw Tennessee, they were psyched. Once they got that offensive lineman scores touchdown, and they were running the ball kind of right down their throat, converting big third downs. And kind of like the Texans, the Chiefs just said, okay, kind of enough. And all of a sudden, their defense did not allow, but they went four, four drives with no points and no first downs. Tennessee, after they scored that touchdown, make it 17-7. It reminded me, I told you, it reminded me of the Jets' Colts in 2009. The Jets had a 17-6 lead, and then all of a sudden, Peyton Manning took off and um, from there on, they outscored the Jets um, like 24 to nothing the rest of the game. So I, I, I think that we're going to see a really good Super Bowl. I mean, both teams unbelievable. With San, Now it's my turn to go. With San Francisco, because yeah, you just keep on rambling. With San Francisco, the way they ran the ball, uh, Raheem Mostert, I don't think anybody knew who he was. I mean, yeah, people heard of him, but the guy had the second most rushing yards in the history of the NFL as far as um, – 
in a playoff game. And there, like we talked about, only three players became the third player to rush for at least four touchdowns in a playoff game. But the funny thing was it wasn't even a Niner record because Ricky Waters rushed for five against the Giants in, 90, in 93. So all these things going forward, we're going to have a great Super Bowl between two really good teams. And the way it worked out, you're wondering all year who are going to be the best teams, the Ravens, the Packers, the Vikings, the Seahawks. Now we got them. Now we know clearly who they are. It's clearly the Chiefs with the way that they score almost at will. And I mean, it's almost to the point where I don't, I don't know who their field goal I, I know who he is, but you wouldn't really know who their field goal kicker is because they don't even need field goals. They just score touchdowns. Yeah. No, you're right. Like, it's the, well, they have seven straight touchdown drives against, yeah. against, against Houston Texans, last yeah. week. So it's like, so to your point as well, like, it doesn't matter. They don't change their game plan, the Chiefs. Down 24 nothing. down 17-7. You want to run the ball on them? Fine. You want to throw the ball, score quick? It doesn't, like, it doesn't matter. Patrick it Holmes, doesn't matter. Whatever you want to, you there's nothing you can do as the other team, offensively or defensively, to get this guy down. That's what it's just so amazing. To your point, we saw two different strategies two weeks in a row. I, I, I wouldn't say I guess the Texans going up 24 nothing was a strategy in the game, but you got to think down 24 nothing after a quarter, a quarter and a and half of the second quarter. Where it's like you can't do any better if you're the Texans so far, game plan wise. And it doesn't matter because he scored four straight drives in the second quarter. And all of a sudden now, after 24 up in the first quarter, you are now down at halftime. To your point, quick strike. They can get down the field in a hurry. They can, they can sustain drives to give their defense a break. They can do it all on the offensive side, which is why you can't get them off, off schedule, off target. And to your point as well, it's going to be so exciting to see them go against this vaunted 49ers defense. But, Mark, I know you're a big history guy. Mm-hmm. You love history. You love the numbers. Yep, I do. You ready for Patrick Mahomes' playoff numbers and where he ranks historically so far yeah. in his career? I, uh, Two, okay. Yeah. So now this Don't is his fourth me. playoff game. Yep. He's 3-1 in the playoffs, right? Yep. He's thrown for 1,188 yards in those, in those four games, 11 touchdowns, add two more on the ground, so 13 total touchdowns, mm-hmm. zero turnovers yep. in four playoff games. All at home, absolutely amazing. Now, one other stat, too. Playoff games, when you lead your team to 31 or more points, histo- like historically in their career. Dan Marino has had 18 playoff games. He's led his team to 31 or more points four times. Yep. So, four to 18. Joe Montana, 23 games in the playoffs. He's led his team to 31 or more points five times. Yeah. Peyton Manning, 27 appearances. He's done the same thing as Joe Montana five times. Yep. Patrick Mahomes, four games in the playoffs, four times. I mean, that, that to me just shows between last year and this year, it doesn't matter. Best defenses he's going against, he can score points. Win or lose, their Chiefs are going to get theirs on offense. Yeah. And to your point, so that's why you, you just view as, a, as an absolute cheat code. He can run the ball. He can throw the ball. Long drives, short drives, running backs he'll throw to, receivers, tight ends. He does it all. He's indefensible. And it's just it's so much to watch. And it's just so shocking too, right? Because I think we were talking about this with Lamar Jackson when he had his playoff struggles, and we talked about there's some marquee quarterbacks. Drew Brees, for example, didn't win his first playoff game until his sixth year. Like there was a list of how long it took each big time quarterback. I think Peyton Manning was at least three years. Yeah. Well, but he lost the uh, lost the Titans, then he lost to the, the Dolphins, and then he lost to the Jets, and then he beat the Chiefs. Right. So we've had so many big time quarterbacks, so many successful Hall of Fame quarterbacks struggle early on in the postseason. And it's not a not, it's just, you know, it's the way of life. And the playoffs, as we've seen, are different. That's why the defense that came to Lamar Jackson was, listen, look at all these guys that have struggled and then have went on to accomplish great things. It's not easy to win in the playoffs, especially as a young quarterback. Patrick Mahomes, man, is just literally flipping that entire script on its head because he has nothing but success. And even in the one game they lost to the Patriots, 
the biggest thing coming out of that game was people were upset that he didn't get a chance to touch the ball in overtime because that's how well the Chiefs' offense was running, and they scored 31 points against the Patriots. And we, we saw what that Patriots defense get to the prolific Rams offense a few weeks later, holding them to three points. Mm-hmm. So it's not like it was a lackluster Patriots defense. This is a, a great, great Patriots defense that was still shredded by Patrick Holmes in this Andy Reid-led offense. And it's just no matter what you can do, I'm a – not that I was ever a doubter, I would say, but I just thought there was too many deficiencies – with the Chiefs that he would not be able to lead them out of personally. And I should have learned my lesson last week down 24 nothing. that if he can come back, nothing, there's nothing he can't do. But I was drinking the cooler of the Titans. I really thought their style would keep him off the field, and that would throw the whole offense off. And guess what, Mark? Guess who was an idiot on the show? Hint, it wasn't you. It wasn't you. It was me. Guess who was what? An idiot oh, on the on. show for not believing in Patrick Holmes and this Chiefs offense. I didn't. I'm paying for it, but man, that was that was fun to watch, impressive, and it it just blows you away. You know, it's just it is it so far it is yet to be um, not impressive, and it, every time it ceases to amaze. Hey, look, I I don't think anybody needs to be ashamed for the fact that they. I mean, if you want to be ashamed, look at what I did during the divisional round. Did they get one right? Maybe one right out of the, out of the four. So, I, the Chiefs are just so good as far as being able to score so quickly or take their time and, and uh, multiple ways. You saw how Mahomes ran on that 20-yard touchdown run or whatever. It looked like he was going to be tackled like four different times. And uh, so I, I drew up a comparison to last year and this year. So last year they had uh, eight, eight touchdown drives. And th- this is in the playoffs, sorry, right? Playoffs, For the yeah. Chiefs, okay. They eight touchdown th- drives. Yeah. They scored 62 points last year, 31 in each game. Okay. And, uh, you know, eight touchdown drives in – 22 total possessions. So a little over, th- a little better than a third of their drives ended in touchdowns in the playoffs. Uh huh. But like the the game against the Patriots, they had drives of four yard, four plays, 74 yards, nine plays, 75 yards, uh, five plays, 68 yards. So their scoring drives were 204, 411, 10 seconds, and 129. I mean, they were scored even qu- quick last year. Um, but then, uh, yeah, the game before against. Who they beat before that? The Patriots last year, the Colts. The Colts, yeah. So against the Colts, they were a little bit longer three three minutes, three minutes, four seconds, four minutes, sixteen seconds. But to your but point, though, three minutes is not exactly too. a long drive. No, when you say no, when they're going ninety yards, right? Uh, you know, seventy yards, seventy-five yards. I mean, just la- last year they had one, two, three, four, five, five, five drives of seventy-five or more yards. And if you compare that. Hold on, let me get all my A lot of, lot of papers, a lot of numbers. Yeah, I know. Uh, Mark, in Mark is the numbers man. If you watch us on the stream, man, you see just the flipping. And if you can see right. even tightly, there he has three pieces of white paper. <laughs> they are literally filled it, to the brim. They're just white copy yeah. pin, printer paper this filled is how to the brim with research. numbers and scribbles. Mark is Only just makes sense to jam-packed yeah. with numbers here. So here we go. So this, this year, as far as scoring drives, 88-yard scoring drive, 73-yard scoring drive, 86-yard scoring drive. Uh, you know, the 86 was in a minute and 40 seconds. Uh, 59 seconds, well, that was t- 42 yards. But uh, 90 yards, 2 minutes, 3 seconds. 85 yards, 3 minutes, 36 seconds. 77 yards, 3 minutes, 55 seconds. Like we said, average of 6 plays, 64 yards for their touchdown drives this year. I mean, that, that, that's so, I- it's ridiculous. And, you know, Mahomes' numbers, too. You look at, at this year. 23 for 35 in both games. Hmm. Okay. Uh, 294 yards, 321 yards, three touchdowns, five touchdowns. And in both, y- uh, both games, he had 53 yards rushing. So he had 100. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that's, that's pretty neat, though. He had thir- both games, he had the same amount of attempts and the same amount of rushing yards. 
Yeah, that that is that yeah. is wild. What is that? Wild anomaly. Wild, wild, wacky stuff. That's what we give you here on the Morning Boys. We give you the hard facts, the numbers that you would not normally see in a box score. That's right. I guess you would, but you wouldn't think to compare the two. That's why we do it. And so last year, in the two games of the playoffs last year, Mahomes forty-six for seventy, six hundred and fifteen yards, uh, and three TDs. It's and this year, forty-three seventy-two, seven seventy-three. And eight touchdowns. It's crazy. It is again when you're playing the best defenses the AFC has to offer. That's when he plays his best, and he's still young and still growing, and really not even his prime yet, which is really the he's scary still part such too. Such a growing boy. I know. I know. It's really, it's ridiculous. And he he's like a like a like a like a bait. Like I remember watching Shaquille O'Neal play. Uh, at LSU, and you look at him, and he's got like this. Looks like a baby. Like he's got like a baby face, and then he goes out and he like dunks on like you know seven footer, and he's doing all these amazing things. And that's what Mahomes is doing, throwing the ball with his left hand, like that one game, and, and you know running out, running linebackers who are fast and big, and and wide receivers. And this guy is just about the best athlete on the field. He's almost a better athlete. Michael Vick was a freak athlete, you know. But he's a better athlete than Michael Vick, I, I think. He's definitely a better passer than Michael Vick. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. I mean, um, and athlete, you, it depends how you define athlete. Well, he, he doesn't let him get – he doesn't get hit. It doesn't seem like he, he gets a uh, – people can really hit him. Same thing with Lamar Jackson. He seems to avoid that big, like, right. shot. You know? Which and, is and, obviously the concern with Lamar Jackson. You're right. Right. And, and, but, but to be fair, Vick and Jackson run more than Mahomes does. Yeah, no, yeah, I, I, absolutely. And, you know – I don't think Mahomes is as fast as those guys no, anyway. No, 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 no. But Mahomes, he has that speed where you look and uh, I got him. I got the angle, and he's, and he's by you. That touchdown run right before the half was the perfect example of that, right? He's rolling out. He has, he's run on the sideline, and he just feels like he's run forever, breaks through a few tackles, and it's just like he's sneaky. I feel like it, we always talk about this with, with quarterbacks that aren't mobile, but it's like he's sneaky, fast, he's sneaky, athletic. And it's not, you know, it's not a surprise or it's not a, a secret, but – to your point, he really just showed out, um, impressed. And, again, Chiefs win 35-24 the Titans. And they will go to their first Super Bowl in 50 years, all led to Patrick Mahomes. Just absolutely incredible. But, Mark, they will be facing the 49ers, who blew out the Packers, were dominated, dominated on the ground, I should say. You have some great Raheem Mostert numbers, so we'll get into those when we come back. It is the morning, boys. Ryan Hickey, Mark Everkelly with you on the World Art Sports Radio Network. It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're listening to the Morning Boys on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It is the Morning Boys, Ryan Hickey and Mark Everkel with you on a Monday morning after championship weekend in the NFL. Fig Mark, you want to talk about the 49ers and Packers game? There's no perfect rejoin than running on a dream based on what Raheem Mostert did yesterday just yep. running all over the Packers without really any sort of pushback or stop like any any resistance at all from that Packers defense the resistance as they crush crush the Packers 37 20 we did get some run the show me and me and you both of us were on the 49ers in that game really not a not really a contest to be fair like they, they if you're a Kirby enthusiast fan which I am the 49ers put this game out of reach by halftime so you're not worried about the game bleeding into curb. Can lead, you know, get it nice and set up. And it was if you're a curb, you're a thousand fan. Uh, Mark, are you are you a curb? Guy? Oh yeah, oh love it. Did you watch it last night? No. Uh, it no. Was, you should watch. It was a great episode. Great first uh, first season debut. 
for uh, I believe what season see, ten. Yeah, see that's like they take like years off, you know. And like I know they go like two three years sometimes. I well I I've, there was there were, there were episodes of that that were so funny, things that happened that were so funny that made me laugh like literally where I couldn't stop laughing. Like I think of it, you know, like the one where he, he puts the golf club in the guy's uh, in the guy's coffin. <laughs> How funny was that, you know? Or uh, the one where they the, he has to use the HOV lane. Yes, uh, and, and he yeah. he brings in the uh, the stripper yeah, right. or the, to the go to the Dodgers yeah. game to, to beat all the traffic. And then he sees Ken Howard, uh, you know, and all the conservative guys at the game. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a perfect stuff. Ken Howard, who actually was in uh, a TV show called The White Shadow, okay, uh, which was about a, a high school basketball coach. Um, he was a pretty good uh, basketball player in in the day, Ken Howard. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, so many. Th- and then when they got the other guy, uh, Smooth, uh, JB's uh, Leon, uh, Leon Black, hysterical. I mean, that, he is so funny. And the best part too is like to your point as well, right? It's like the break, the the three four year gap. It just it builds yeah, suspense. It does. And the best part too is like I. You know, now that it's like present day, I get a lot more of the references and kind of more of the social understanding. There's a lot of great references into present day and what's going on in kind of the Hollywood culture that I thought was just, it was very funny. So that yeah. would definitely, get, whenever you can, as soon as possible, get a chance to watch because it is just, it was so funny. It's a little slow the first five or seven minutes. Like, oh, do they still have it? And they just, they crushed it. It was Liar David again. Should never doubt them, just like I should never doubt Patrick Mahomes. Mm. Guy is a machine. And you could see George. In that, like, oh my know, god, was, you could totally see it. Like, the episode where George, you know, went back and uh, pretended like he wasn't fired or <laughs> pretended like he didn't quit, right? Uh, but who would do that? I remember they're talking to Larry David, like, the actors talking to Larry David, yeah, who would do this? This is ridiculous. What, what are you talking about? Why, why is that really, you know, like, because he actually did that in real life. It's so funny, Larry David, right? It's that's what Curb's so funny too, because it's like the dirtier version, uh, you know, the yeah. cursing version yeah, of, of, Seinfeld. of Seinfeld, yeah. So it's just remember the one where Shaq got hurt. The Kirby enthusiasm, which Shaq got hurt because Larry David was sitting in the front row and he tripped over him. No. Yeah. I'm trying to remember. And then, uh, then Shaq finds out that he's that he actually produced Seinfeld. So then, you know, Shaq gets to watch all the Seinfeld up because that was before Netflix. Because that's how far this goes back. Well, you're right. You're um, right. Wow. But he got still, you know, watch all the Seinfeld episodes, so he's all happy now because he was he was he, like hated him at first. <laughs> it, it, you know, stuff like that. It's funny. Great, great, great show, and again, great premiere for season ten last night. But so, how we got there? Because the Four Niners put this game away at halftime. How we got there to get yeah. you to set up for this game, Mark? If you follow Mark at CK Magic Sports, tweeting a lot last night and this morning about Raheem Mostert's just domination on the ground, rushing for 220 yards and 29 carries for four touchdowns, just absolutely eviscerating the Packers' defense, and they had zero answer. Now, Mark, you are all over this in terms of numbers-wise, historical uh, reference-wise. You know, watching that game last night, what, what were you thinking with, with most, especially the guy who came out of nowhere, right? He was cut mm-hmm. by, what was it, I think, seven different teams, could never really hang on, and now here he is having a great year with the 49ers and, again, helping them, on his, putting him on his back to take him to the Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean, 220 yards and just a number of touchdowns. The first thing I think of is, okay, how many guys have done this? You know, running for 200 yards and four touchdowns, nobody's done it. And then you think, okay, how many guys have run for four touchdowns? And you start thinking, okay, what about in the championship game? Let me start there. Because you figure it's a, it's a, a lot of guys. Um, nobody's done it in the championship game. Or okay. The, or the Super Bowl. So first guy to run for over 200 yards and four touchdowns in a yep. playoff game. Yep. First guy ever in a championship game for four touchdowns. Yeah. Yep. Because the other two guys to, to do it, um, Ricky, Ricky Waters ran for five touchdowns in the divisional round against the Giants. 
1993. Um, that was the year, that was um, uh, the guy who used to coach for the Broncos, uh, Dan, uh, Dan Reeves. That was his first year with the Giants. Phil Sims was still quarterback, and they just annihilated them at, at uh, Candlestick Park, I remember. And then they went out, and they lost to the Cowboys. That was the year Jimmy Johnson uh, went out, and he publicly said, we're, we're going to win, I guarantee it. The second Super Bowl for the Cowboys. And then you had uh, Garrett Blount against the Colts, running for four touchdowns. That was like one of those rare games where Brady like, didn't really pass the ball. You know, and uh, just a, he was just a beast. They, you didn't really have too many playoff games where a Patriot running back dominated the game, and yeah, that was one right. of them. The Colts allowed the Colts defense allowed that to happen for sure. Yep. So, and then you look at okay, as how many two hundred twenty yards? It's only been done one other time. A guy ran for that many yards. You know, Eric Dickerson, two forty-eight. That's the playoff record, two forty-eight, and it's been it for a while. Dickerson did it in eighty-five. There's only uh, looking at my list here. Uh, most rushing yards NFL uh, postseason in a, in a single game. Dickerson, 248. Moster, 240. Lamar Smith, 209 in a wild card game against the Colts. Keith Lincoln, going back to the AFL and the AFL championship in 1963, ran for 206 yards. And I think we I told you that was only on 13 carries. So oh, my goodness. Good. Really? Yeah. Holy smokes. Then you have the uh, – who can forget Timmy Smith now? Yes. Okay. The immortal. The immortal the Timmy immortal Smith. Timmy Smith. In the night in Super Bowl twenty-two for the Redskins, uh, Lawrence McCutcheon played for the uh, Los Angeles Rams in seventies, ran for two hundred and two yards, and then you had Freeman McNeil in the nineteen eighty-two first round game because that was the year of the strike, so it wasn't the wild card game. First round game uh, in Cincinnati against the defending AFC champions, ran for two hundred and two yards. And Ryan Grant in the divisional round in 2007, the, the game before they lost to the Giants uh, in the NFC Championship game, ran for 201 yards against the Seahawks. Now, he had three touchdowns in that game. Okay, so the other guys, as far as touchdowns, were over 200 yards. Dickerson had two touchdowns. Lamar Smith had two touchdowns. Lincoln had one. McCutcheon had one. McNeil had one. Timmy Smith had two. So Grant's the only other one to rush for three or more and for 200 yards. So to your, to your point, historically, Raheem Mostert just in the record books now, one of the most historical and memorable performances in 49ers postseason history. And as you know, the 49ers have one of the best postseason histories yeah. in, in all of sports. But he doesn't have the record for most touchdowns since that's Ricky Waters. Yeah. But and to your point as well, you, you brought up the Chargers' Keith Lincoln. Mostert had 160 yards in the first half. Only Keith Lincoln, again, back in 1963, the AFL Championship had oh, more. How about that? In the first half? Yes. He had 176 in the first half. Wow. Did Lincoln. Yeah. Crazy, right? Was he a Lincoln or a Cadillac? Probably, that game is probably a Lincoln flying through. Cadillacs are better. Cadillacs got more oh, leg so room. He, he must have been Cadillac then. That's the argument Italian guys have between the Cadillac and the Lincoln. Which side are you on? You're uh, Italian. I, yeah. But um, um, I don't know. I, I remember the, uh, the discussion uh, in Donnie Brasco uh, between um, uh, Al Pacino's character and the other guys. What are you talking about? Lincoln's got more leg room. It's a little wider. It's got more leg room. You said that. What did I say? More leg room. I said that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, 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 you know what? I, I don't like either of them. Whoa. Oh, wow. Yeah. Ooh, well, no, I, I don't. I mean, um, I'd rather have my, uh, my little uh, sports car. You're not, a, uh, you're not a leg room kind of guy. I'm not. Well, I, well, well, I, I, I am a leg room kind of guy because I need one? it. Six one? Six one? Uh, six one, yeah. Um, six one and three quarters. 
Okay, six two. I round up. I'm five yeah. eleven. I'll say six foot. Yeah, you know, five eleven three quarters. Ooh, six foot. Uh, okay, yeah. So you're six two. Um, but uh, you know, I, I like the leg room. But uh, I, I think that I like. I don't like big cars. Big cars are you know two boat cars. I don't like that. I like I like small cars, compact a little bit. Uh, not so much where you're going to die if you get it, if you get into one of those cars, smart right? cars where yeah. that, like, basically you sit in it and that's the entire yeah, I know. car. It's you're just like, the driver's yeah. seat. I know. No, I, I don't like that. Uh, I like you know a little comfort, but uh, okay. not 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 crazy. Low, to, low to the ground. No, I mean my my dream car would be a late '70s Corvette. Ooh, nice top you know? down. Uh, Let that hair flow in the breeze. <laughs> Sunglasses on, one hand on the steering wheel. The boys of summer. Winking at the ladies uh, yeah. at the stoplights. Yeah, well, yeah. Revving the engine. Not me. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm, yeah. Let everyone know, you know, coming down the block. Here comes Mark Everett Kelly. Mark. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah. No, I. I is, that, is that you barking at the yeah, ladies? That, that's my dog. Because I remember oh, I had okay. I had a service dog for a while. Yeah, Sammy's old now, so Sammy you know, has, has not been, has been out of action for a while. But Sammy was my, you know, from I got him in 2005, and he was my service dog wow. for for a good eight years, where he went with me everywhere. Everybody who saw me saw Sammy. Sammy, I'm sure, would enjoy a nice topless Corvette, right? Oh, he would. I mean, everybody, like even at my church, like everybody at my church knew Sammy, you know. Hmm. And uh, here, you know, Sammy, and so Sammy was like all little boys and girls, and you know, it, it was it was great to have him. You know, still still kicking, Sammy. Still kicking. Still so kicking. you know, if Sammy was listening, I'm sure he is a big Morning Boys listener. <laughs> I, I hope he, he is, gets man. on you about the Corvette. I hope he starts barking anytime he gets in the car and well, just starts barking Corvette. <laughs> Here's the thing. See, when I did my own podcast, CK Magic Sports is a man and dog productions. Whoa. He's, he's the dog. <laughs> Sammy would be the dog in the <laughs> man and, and dog man productions. Man and dog productions. Uh, but you're hitting on. So all, okay. all the historically, you're talking about Raheem Mostert, right? Just yeah. rushing and the success he had. Overall, as a team, 49ers had 42 rush attempts. Wow. For 285 yards. Wow. And it, they, I mean, their holes were so big. I hadn't seen holes like that since Timmy Smith in the Super Bowl. Like, I remember Smith, you could drive a truck through some of those holes. It's me and you could run through those holes. We get 200 yards if we M- maybe you back could. There. I don't know if I could. Maybe you could. Come on, Mark. I, maybe you still Rick got, could. you know, you got some crazy legs I could see. You know, <laughs> crazy legs. Getting out there yeah. in the open out running uh, some defensive backs. <laughs> throwing, throwing maybe a few, maybe back a few in the day. Moves. Yeah, maybe back in the day. But uh, no, not anymore. No, not now. Okay, just 150 yards. If you were, <laughs> if you were not 200. We won't get crazy. I'm, I'm like that uh, that three yards in a cloud of dust. Like if you need if you need one yard, I get you three. If you need five yards, I get you three. <laughs> <laughs> Very old school. I think Dave Gettleman just called on line one. He, uh, <laughs> that, that's his kind of running back right there. So you may be in a job. I mean, who knows? Mark, Mark's out of the – there's only morning boy now because Mark will be morning suited up boy. for the Giants <laughs> starting in 2020. Um, but, you know, but, you know, the, bring up with the, with the rush attempts, it's the – and we talked about this throughout the year too, right? The 49ers, we thought going to the playoffs would be the hardest out of any team because of how many ways they can win. Right? They really don't have one identity. I think they, they are built upon running Kyle Shannon really enjoys running the ball. And through these two playoff teams, you can really see it. They can run the ball with success. They will not get away from it. I mean, it's ironic. Kyle Shannon, we saw with, with the uh, the Super Bowl with the Falcons, getting away from the run, and that really hurt them right. against the Patriots. I, right, right. But see, he learned his lesson. Now, if the run is working, he will not get away from it. And that's the reason why, to me, at least, the 49ers were the hardest out of any team, all 12 teams in the playoffs, is because if they want to run the ball and they can, they'll stick with it and they'll dominate with it. If they want to pass the ball, we saw Jimmy Garoppolo twice against the Cardinals, against the Saints in the Superdome. If he has to throw the ball, he can win you a game. Right? He's shown yep. the ability to win you a game, throw three, four, five touchdown passes, and when the ground game is not working or it's not needed, he can win you a game with his arm. We saw them just, again, 
winning the uh, winning games with their defense and just playing lockdown defense, getting after the pass rusher. They're so multiple in the ways they win. And this highlights it too. Jimmy Garoppolo's stat line yesterday. Six completions on eight attempts. This is not 1950. Yep. This is not before the forward pass was invented by Newt Rockney. <laughs> Canute. Yeah. In the NFC title <laughs> in the NFC title game, the 49ers attempted to throw the ball eight times. They d- they completed six they completed six for 77 yards. Look back to the Vikings game just one week earlier. Jimmy Garoppolo completed 11 passes. So in two playoff games, Jimmy Garoppolo has 17 completions. The 49ers have been able to blow holes open with the run game. They ran for 186 yards against the, the Vikings with a good front seven last week. And again, this week they ran for 285 yards. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be so much fun watching the Super Bowl because there are two contrasting styles between the Chiefs, who can throw the ball all over the yard and beat you at the pass, and now the 49ers, who can run it all over you s- differently than what the Titans kind of do with Derrick Henry. They have different guys. Tevin Coleman, most of we saw have a, a day yesterday. Matt Breed is another guy. Three guys, three running backs, all over 500 yards for this 49ers team. It's the formula they have with great defense and running the ball has worked. And what's interesting, too, is it's not an old-school running the ball. It's not a, a Derrick Henry Titans sort of-esque offense where they would just line up with a big guy, run it down your throat. They're very multiple in the way they do it. They, you know, they stretch it. They run up the middle. They, they run toss plays. They run screen plays. They kind of do all different extensions of the run game that despite, again, you know what's coming if you are Mike Pettin and that Packers defense, right? They ran the ball 42 out of 50 plays. Mm-hmm. You know what's coming. There's no surprise here. <laughs> and despite that, despite basically Kyle Shanahan telling you, I'm running the ball here, they do it in so many different ways and variations that you still can't stop it. I know. That's what's so dangerous and so impressive to me, at least with the 49ers, is that even when you know what's coming, they could differentiate in different ways by still, but still doing the same principle and philosophy that winning games. The 49ers, that was just an amazing game yesterday. What they did with the, with the Packers, dominating on the ground. And to your point, Raheem Mostert having an historical, historical day for the 49ers. And this sets up, I mean, this is probably the best-case Super Bowl, right? Like, Chiefs and 49ers from, ex- from an excitement standpoint, great defense line with the 49ers, great passing offense for the Chiefs, great rushing defense, uh, rushing team, excuse me, from the 49ers. Head coach at Kyle Shanahan, who had obviously his moment in the Super Bowl losing as a Falcons offense coordinator. You have Andy Reid trying to get his first Super Bowl known in his career and his legacy for really not coming up with the big moments. I am psyched in two weeks for Miami for the Super Bowl. Okay, so uh, the Niners, 285 team yard, rushing yards, the eighth highest total in NFL playoff history. For really? Team. I feel yeah. it could be higher, to be honest. Um, no, if you can believe that. Uh, but we're going back to you know, all time here. I okay. guess you're right. We're throwing the ball wasn't prevalent or right. important. But, yeah, and also, I mean, if you want to since, now, if we're doing since the merger, they are one, two, three, four, Yeah, it's just since the merger, six. Super Bowl era. So they are sixth uh, okay. in Super Bowl era. Because you have the other two teams. You have, the, of course, the, the famous 73 did nothing uh, Chicago Bears beating the Redskins in the 1940 NFL championship game. Right. And we all they, remember that. Uh, I do. Uh, <laughs> I'm not so, I, know, I'm being t- I know you do. <laughs> you trust me. Well, I remember that. Anyone yeah. on this planet, I wasn't alive, but I remember If there's yeah. anyone on this planet who has watched the game, remembers the stats, I'm sure you could tell us right Russell, now. R- Russell is much b- better than me, but yeah. Eh, that's debatable. No, Mark, Mark, no you, you that are, is not are, debatable. You are our guy, Mark. Russell, is, that is not debatable. Russell, but, but if anything, you are one and one. A. How about that? Uh, you, Russell Baxter is one. Like, you're one A. More like one Z. But one, yeah, um, still but, number one. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, so Chicago ran for 381 yards that day with for seven and seven touchdowns. 
Uh, then you have the Bills in 1995 against, uh, against Miami. That game was, I remember, it was a divisional game that was at, actually it was a wild card game that was at, uh, that was at Buffalo. And they ran for 341 yards. Uh, Dallas in 1980 ran for, well, that, I, I actually, yeah, I, it was this 1980 playoffs, ran for 338 yards <laughs> in, a, in a 38, 34-13 uh, win over the Rams. Uh, the Falcons, they had a game in 2004 with Michael Vick and Warwick Dunn. Okay. That, 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 they beat the Rams 47-17 to and uh, ran for 327 yards that game. Uh, the 49ers against the Packers in 2012. Oh, uh, wow. That Colin Ka- oh, that Colin was a Colin Kaepernick, Kaepernick game. Yeah. Okay. Uh, again, against for? the Packers. They ran for 323 that game. Wow. Uh, the, then the Chargers against the Patriots that game with Keith Lincoln. They ran for 318 yards. Uh, Denver in the, their revenge game against the Jaguars the year after the Jaguars beat them with Mark Brunel. Uh, they ran for 310 yards. Terrell Davis, uh, part of that. And then you had yesterday's game between, again, you know what's really great, too, is the Packers and the, and the Niners had so many playoff games. I didn't even remember, like, how many they had. You know, the, there was that stretch in the 90s where Brett Favre was the quarterback for the, the Packers, and they could beat the Niners, they just couldn't beat the Cowboys. So you had the Niners going to the Super Bowl in 94 and beating the Cowboys in a championship game. They had played a championship game 92, 93, 94, they were trying to get back to a 95 play for four straight year, and the Packers defeated the Niners out in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Then the next year, the Packers had the number one seed. The Niners went there. Uh, that was Steve Young did not play that game, though. No. And they beat him in Green Bay. In the Mud Bowl. Yes. And then in 97, the, the Niners had the best record in the AFC, NFC again. Championship game in San Francisco, and they wound up losing that game. And then you had... The catch number two yes. in a wild card round. Yes. You know, the, the funny thing was, is, uh, you know, yesterday with Andy Reid, I was looking at most home losses in championship games. Andy Reid's got three of them. Okay. Okay. Uh, the, the person who holds the record, they, you know, the coach who holds the record has lost four championship games at home? Oh, this is tough. I don't, off the top of my head, I. At home. Four, he's lost four AFC championship games at home. Who was I don't know. Bill Cower. Wow, okay. Yeah, he lo- they lost to the Chargers in 94. Then they lost to the Broncos in 97. That was with Cordell Stewart. Okay. Then in 2001, they lost to the Patriots. In 2004, they lost to the Patriots. Wow, Bill so, Cower. Yeah, Bill Cower. And then he, uh, the ones on the road, it's like he, the only one he played on the road was at Denver. In the um, year, so they won and won the Super Bowl. And, and he won. That was with Jake Plummer. Yeah. Um, and that was the year after they went 15-1. and one. So... Uh, Andy Reid was trying to catch him, all right? There's only one other the, – the, the, those are the only two guys that have lost three championship games at home. And if Reid could have, could have lost, they would have tied the record. But uh, I, I think that's where you see, okay, if you lose three championship games, even that is hard. Is, is, is like, geez, what do we have to do? The whole thing is to get a home championship game, yeah. you know? So, uh, but it's just totally different. I'm, I'm going to uh, look at all the numbers and try to draw up something for, for an article this week on, on how this – Re-team was different than the ones in Philadelphia. Definitely McNabb's numbers were nowhere near oh. Patrick Mahomes. Even though McNabb wasn't bad. Right. Just two totally different quarterbacks. McNabb made more mistakes. I mean, McNabb I had in his first, uh, you know, from 2000. The years they went to the championship game. 2008, McNabb threw four picks. 2003, McNabb threw three picks. 
2002, he threw two picks, and 2001, he threw four picks. So that, that's just in that single postseason. Um, and we've already pointed out Patrick Holmes has not thrown any say, picks. Yeah. Either championship game right. or either play, any playoff game, which is just insane. Mm. And, you know, as far as the record for single postseason, uh, Flacco, 11 touchdowns, no picks that year of the but that was the immaculate run he had. When yeah, he, that was in games. that was in three games. Four games. Four games. Yeah, because yeah, because yeah, he had the, the wild card too. Um, so that's the record for most touchdowns without a pick in a single postseason. And, and Mahomes right now has eight. So break that. He, he has a chance. Right, I said one last game too. You're saying there's a chance. You're saying there's a chance. It'll be definitely a, a fun battle for sure. Him going up with that 49ers defense. We have two weeks. Talk about that matchup and discuss and break down all our thoughts. So, again, Mark, whenever you get to put the article out, hopefully if it's done by Thursday, we can kind of dive into it. <laughs> I'll get on because it. Because to your point, right, it's like Andy Reid's been a perpetual loser in championship games and home championship games. Even with Patrick Holmes last year, playing as well as he was, they could not get it done. Couldn't to your point, done. this team is different. They really have that different energy momentum. Did not have history get uh, on their bad side, and they got it done and going to the Super Bowl for again for the first time in 50 years. So congratulations know, yeah. to you, Kansas City. There's one other Super team. Super Bowl four, Len Dawson. They one are now other team that has back. been to the Super Bowl that has not been back. That that has just stretched that long. Vikings. No, that is that that is stretched that long. Like had been uh, last time they went to the Super Bowl was '68 or '68 season. Oh, yeah. Of course, I should have known. Dun, dun. I should have known. Dun, dun, dun. They reside out there in Florida Park, New Jersey. Yeah. They share a stadium with the New York Giants. They are I know. a model of a plane, if you want to say. Yeah, but you know, you know what kind of encourages me a little bit? It's like when the Red Sox broke their streak and, you know, of 1917. The floodgates opened and won. Yeah, right. It was, it was 1918. Was, it, was the Red Sox 1918? And then the White Sox were, had a streak that White long, Sox too. White Sox were a long time. Yeah. So the White Sox, the last time that they won a World Series was 1917. And they won the World Series the next year. So... Red Sox win in 2004. White Sox win in 2005. So you're saying one curse is broken, the extra another curse I'm is saying, broken. Okay. Hey. Chiefs go in the wind. Weirder hey. things have happened. Hey, you know, there is a – I love the optimism, Mark. I love the optimism. And that is one thing Jet fans are, are not is optimistic. No, 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 no. You listen we, to we, Mr. Joe Beningo. <laughs> uh, listen, bro, to be come fair, on, bro, bro. The Jets have not given them many reasons to be optimistic. Yeah. So it's not You're that killing me, bro. Really? Bro, really? Really? Hope, I hope I for, for Joe Benigno, if you're a fan listener, he, yeah. uh, he sees one before he dies. Cause I think that is, yeah, I know. That, that's his, that that's really his would be nice, yeah. See, you know what's funny is I always thought I, always thought I would get to go. The, the, the thing was, my dad and I were supposed to go to the championship game. Like, uh, that was it. It was going to take me and my brother to the championship game, and my dad died last year. So I'll, I'll never get that chance. They kill my father, and they're going to kill me. No, I, I would like a chance to... Because uh, I haven't been to a Jet game since they lost to Tom Brady in week two of the 2002 season. That was it. I, I, am, I said, I am not coming back here Uh-oh. until they host an AFC championship game. And they have not been there since. So, so I don't we, know. we have a, still a lot to get to. Who's yeah. the more impressive team yesterday, the Chiefs or the 49ers? Again, each of them dominant in their own ways. We'll get to that. A lot of baseball to get to. LNB playoff, uh, excuse me, Hall of Fame ballots. The Giants hire an offense coordinator. Who's the Mets manager? It is all coming up on the Morning Boys. Ryan Aiken, Mark Everkelly with you on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're listening to the Morning Boys on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. I 
haven't even heard this song. What is this? This is like a. This is called Intoxicated. It is, uh, you know, what, what the hip kids are playing these days. <laughs> we'll say. The hip kids. What the kids listen to. This is what the kids are listening to, and I feel like there's no better intro. You know, one of our regular callers here on uh, the, the Morning Boys of the boss. Sports Radio Network is Ryan Aiken, Mark Ever Kelly, the DJ himself, Errol Marks. So I figured he he would enjoy a nice intro with some beats that he's used to listening. And, and he can break dance too. Nobody really knows Errol can break dance. Really, Errol, yes, you can, can break dance, huh? What's going on, guys? What's up, Errol? You got her. So on top of DJing well, uh, and talking sports, I was here. listening to Mark's take when he brought up the New York Jets, the 1968-69 New York Jets. So I had to make a phone call because it, it just annoys the hell out of me when I watched Kansas City yesterday. <laughs> Get over the hump yeah. after 50 years. Right, I know, and right? Go to the Super Bowl. Yeah. And the Jets have no luck to get there. So, I know, man. Uh, it's something, it's definitely something to look at and laugh about. Because well, it, it, it's yeah. a joke. It, it's, it's a joke, and hopefully this will all change. Hopefully. And see, you start laughing, then you realize you're crying at the end. Well, that hope, it starts with consistency. I mean, I think you guys have at least the right franchise quarterback in place in Sam Darnold. I do believe in Darnold. I think he'll be good. Um, so that's uh, there's some hope for you that you have, you know, what we keep hearing about in the NFL is you need a franchise quarterback. You need a franchise quarterback. I think the Jets have that. So there's a piece going in the right direction for you. You have an offensive-minded head coach. There's two things going yeah, for you. Yeah, we do. Oh, boy. More I'm importantly, engaged. you have a general manager that is – Yeah, that no, that's good. Yeah. Or, you know, I, better than Mike McCagnan, we'll say that, so can actually scout and draft players. So mm. there's three positives, right? Come on. Errol, Mark, I know you, you two love the pessimism. Can we see some optimism, some hope? I, I, actually, Errol, Errol's not as pessimistic as I am. Really? Yeah. No, Errol, Errol actually has, like, when we, when we talked, before, I remember before the season when we talked, and I can't actually believe that he's being quiet. Uh, when, when we talked I don't hear season, you guys. you got to put your mics up. I don't hear you guys. Well, I mean – I'm not touching the mic because, as we know, <laughs> I am not being responsible for stuff that's breaking exactly. here. Um, so. No, anyway, no, Errol, I was saying that you and I, between the two of us, I am the negative one. You're not really that negative when it comes to the Jets. At least it's not as negative as I am. Well, you're a pessimistic Jets fan, that's for sure. Yeah, exactly. You're, 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 not, one, you're not one of those Jets fans. Actually, every time the Jets played this year – I would get a text message or an instant message from Mark stating, they stink, I don't know why I watch this garbage, I'm done with the Jets. Well, I didn't say I'm done. I didn't say I'm done. If it's not for Mark, it's my friend Eric. Yeah. Well, he sends me like these little articles <laughs> that people write about the Jets or about other quarterbacks like Lamar Jackson and Mahomes and why aren't they talking about Sam? And I, and I keep telling them, I say, first of all, Sam is younger than all those quarterbacks. He came into the league when he was practically 20 years old. And the guy has not played a full season of football yet in the last two years. So to put pressure on a kid that has no protection, has nothing to look forward to next season. Right now, as of right now, when you look at the Jets in the state, the state the Jets are in right now, the only good sign you have is Sam Donald and Joe Douglas, like you were saying, Ryan. Besides that... There's really nothing to look forward to next year. Uh, C.J. Mosley, first year with the New York Jets, couldn't stay healthy. He played one game, played unbelievable. He was defensive player of the week, and he didn't show back up for the rest of the season. He came back, and then he got hurt again with the same problem. Just You have Avery Williamson. Everybody was expecting his linebacking core to be one of the best in the league last year. Avery Williamson gets hurt in preseason. 
I mean, nothing works well for the Jets. They gave Jermaine Johnson a historic contract for a corner. The guy was one of the worst corners in football. So this is the problem with the Jets. And, and, and unfortunately, when you look at the Jets and where they, the state of the Jets, what do, you, what do you look forward to in the next three years? I don't know. But what I do know is I trust that Joe Douglas is going to get it right. I really do. I think he, for the first time, I don't think we're inept on where we are at the general manager position. The only thing that worries me right now is, is Adam Gase as bad as what you see his players become after they leave him? So that's the, I mean, as good as his players become after they leave him. So look at the players that have left him, and look at look at what they look at what they have done ever since they left him. Ryan Tannehill leaves the Miami Dolphins. He goes to Tennessee and goes to the AFC title game. Did he play well? No, he wasn't. It was because of their running game. It was because of their defense. But he made the throws that he needed to make, just like Mark Sanchez did for the Jets in the two back-to-back AFC title games. You don't need to be a great quarterback to go all the way to the Super Bowl and win it. We've seen it. How many quarterbacks? We saw Rex Grossman right. go to the Super Bowl against Peyton Manning. So right. Peyton, just that year, Peyton. Peyton was awful that year. And, uh, I'm sorry? Yeah. But Peyton was awful the year that the Broncos won the Super Bowl in 2015. You know, it, it, it's... It's interesting to me when when we when we talk about the Jets and even talking about Kansas City. Shout out to the Kansas City Chiefs and yep. Andy Reid. I'm I'm rooting for them because I, I think Andy Reid, after all these years and all this is the second time going to the Super Bowl. This guy has never gotten over the hump. He's had coaches uh, that have been under him that have gotten over the hump, but for some reason, who I think arguably the best offensive mind in football has never gotten over the top to win a Super Bowl. I think this is his year. I think he's got the quarterback to do it. And I, I think that what they have done so far has been absolutely remarkable this year. A team that has had a lot of woes with the whole Hill thing before the season even started. Uh, last year at the end of the season, they lose their running back because of domestic violence. And then going into this year, Mahomes has not been 100% healthy. And, and a lot of people thought he thought when he hurt his knee that he tore his ACL or meniscus or his MCL, and they got they got lucky on that situation. So I, I've been very impressed with Kansas City. I give them a lot of credit. I see a lot of heart in them. And as far as San Francisco is concerned, I, I, everybody thought San Francisco at the edge. I took Green Bay yesterday because I thought because Aaron Rodgers has the background and his his consistency as a quarterback of what we've seen so far this year, I thought he was gonna get he was gonna beat San Francisco because of the youth and the young you know, the young talent that they had. I don't know if they were up for the challenge. But what they did yesterday to the Green Bay Packers was absolutely remarkable. You have oh. to give Kyle Shanahan a lot of credit yeah. because his play calling, especially in the second half of the game, was immaculate. I mean the guy was I think that when you look at San Francisco as a whole, they're actually probably going to go into this game as the favorite because of their defense. But I think you have um, one of the best defensive teams in all of football against arguably one of the best. What happened to him? Did he die? Wow. Errol, did you get stabbed? Errol is gone. Errol, Jeez, he Errol. just... I think he went into it. Uh, he made a, a dramatic exit, I guess. That, was, that actually, sounded I, like. I, uh, I actually, Ryan cut him off. But you know. I don't know what the what the hell was that? It sounded like like not the uh, last gasp, but that was just like a, one of those like, like yeah, he like was talking little, like tronic sound, like Wah. yeah. And he, he just he dipped out. He dro- I guess he dropped the mic, and you know he was out. But Terrell dropped the mic, a mic drop. 
dropped the phone. Yeah, made his point about the 49ers, made his point about the Chiefs. Congratulated, shout out to the Chiefs Nation, Chiefs Kingdom, I should say. Errol Marks is out. He is out of here. A record for Errol, caller-wise. Um, it's only 10 minutes. I'm kidding. I yeah. love, we, we love when Errol calls. Uh, yes, we do. But I'll say this for Jets fans quickly. I think it kind of relates to what we're talking about with the NFC and AFC title games. I mean, you don't – right now we've seen you don't need a star franchise elite quarterback to go to the Super Bowl. Jared Goff is not that. The Rams got there last year. Jimmy Garoppolo is not that. The 49ers are there this year. Mm. Right? Like, I think John Lynch is an example of how you can build a team with an average to above average quarterback that can just make the plays we need to make them. Right? Like you, you dominate on the offensive line. You dominate the defensive line. You have, you, if you build your team through an identity and stick to it. If you build it, it, you will come. Yeah, yes. Right. So there's the optimism for you Jets fans out there looking towards free agency, looking towards a draft, and now really at least with, uh, with the Joe Douglas and Adam Gase era officially, really kind of officially starting now that both have kind of put their heads together and get the personnel that they want on the I've, field. I've broken down, right? I'm doing this by hand. Oh. So, Mark, so obviously we started the show Patrick Mahomes. His numbers are incredible. 11 touchdowns in his career through the first four postseason games, zero turnovers. This is what we, this is what we get when we get Mark, okay, like all this. this if you're watching on the, stre- on the stream or if you're listening to us, Mark has just yeah. a notebook. I, I, I don't even know what Just a, uh, yeah. a legal pad right now yeah. with just running through. Every single page yeah. is filled top to bottom, left to right. Margins are all filled in with just all numbers, yeah. all, uh, all different kind of – Metrics that he's using to this is it Jets at like for, at sh- since merge since the merger at Shea Meadowlands is in season openers. So the, uh, look at that. Mark yeah, Mark gives you the numbers, titles, the hard titles facts. One for each for each each uh, franchise since merger. Uh, by the way, the Jets have the fewest with two. But uh, <laughs> you know, it's like these are all these things. Like like I don't even know what this is. You know, it's, it's <laughs> <laughs> that's a funny part too. Like Mark, I mean, I could be wrong, but looking at it, none of them are titled or like or no, headline no, no, like. No. Division winners, nah. merger titles, nah. records. It's just numbers, and Mark knows offhand. Okay, all right. Yeah. 35, 25, right. That's the yards that were thrown in the first two weeks of the, of the game when it's raining, and that's why this guy has the record for the most. Yeah. So it's just it's funny. It's just a legal pad uh, full, every single page full, top to bottom, margin to margin of just numbers and facts. What this was is that championship game appearances since the merger. And okay. Because the Titans now have uh, are one of four in championship games, and so this is their fifth. Okay, uh, so yesterday. but they are the only them and the Jets are the only two teams in uh, to not host a, a championship game. Look at see, that is that is the great information right there, come that on. we need. The Titans that, and the Jets. That's some hard work right there. Only two teams in the NFL. That's great work. Only two teams. Uh, you know, that you won't find that n- uh, an AFC championship with game. a simple search. That is the hard nosed fact. So yeah. now, for example, so now reference, I should say, Mark is. He wants to get the record and the numbers of Patrick Mahomes' first four postseason games in history. Where does he compare, right? Yeah. We just ran through the numbers. He's, uh, excuse me, 3-1, thrown for 1188, 1,188 yards, 11 touchdowns, no interceptions. Through his first four postseason games, and Mark, by hand now, yeah. is writing down historically where that ranks Mahomes-wise and kind of breaking down because he's unable to find – at least through Pro Football Reference, a breakdown already of that category. Yeah, we, we only have uh, how many quarterbacks to play in. Well, we only have uh, 89 quarterbacks i got to go through. So oh, I, I, right. Yeah. So, perfect. Yeah. So, Mark, Mark will be on this. How about this, Mark? We'll take a quick break. We'll wrap, <laughs> we'll wrap up the AFC-NFC title talk with, with the more impressive performance. Actually, we'll, we'll do it quick. Chiefs, obviously, Patrick Mahomes, we know what he did yesterday, throwing through the air, having a dominant performance, single-handedly kind of leading the Chiefs to victory. Flip side, 49ers single-handedly ran the ball down the Packers' throat. 
Again, Raheem Mostert had a career day, historical day playoff-wise, as they were for 285 yards all over the Packers. Who's more impressive yesterday, do you think? Patrick Holmes and the Chiefs, Raheem Mostert, 49ers offense, and, the, uh, and San Francisco? Uh, Chiefs. Chiefs? Yeah, because they, they can – what impressed me yesterday was the Niners' zone blocking. Uh, you hear about it. Like, the, player, the announcer's talking about it how Kyle Shanahan, as a little kid, would hear his dad talking about that, the zone blocking scheme. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, you know what was impressive to me is they came out and they would run wide, kind of like that Green Bay Packer sweep, you know? You need, a, you need a crease here, and you need a crease here, you know, like, uh, like I can picture a Lombardi at the chalkboard with the, you know, we want to, you know. Slashing Jerry, all around. Jerry Kramer and those guys, you know, here and here. So, uh but then they would they really screwed him up by doing the wide receiver uh like run versus yeah yeah the creativity we were talking about just they run the ball but you don't know how they're running where they're going to run and that's what made him so effective right and i think they had the packers they they looked like they were just so angry because they could not stop them and you you think about Aaron Rodgers he just fought four championship games now he's lost three in a row and the last two he's gotten kind of butt kicked, you know. Um, the game that he will never forget was that game in Seattle that mm-hmm. they had, and he could have been to the Super Bowl then. And when you think about since they, they won the Super Bowl in 2010, he was really I, – I don't know if he's going to go back. I don't know if he's going to be able to get back. I don't know if the Packers are going to be good enough to get him back to the Super Bowl. He's older now. He's, what, 35 now? You know, so I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I'm with, I thought this is their best chance for sure. 13-3, one game away, but ran into a buzzsaw with the 49ers. I, I'm going to go with the Chiefs as well because, again, not that I doubted Patrick Mahomes. I just really thought the Titans would, with that terrible rush defense of the Chiefs, be able to kind of have their way, set the tone early, and kind of throw the Chiefs' offense off. And poof, boy, was I wrong. They established our identity early on, and it did not matter. Patrick Mahomes, he went out there, bing, bang, and boom. Bing, Long bang, boom. drives, short drives, 85 yards in a minute and 20 75 yards in seven minutes. It doesn't matter. They went up and down the field it at will. Yeah. And they, did. they were absolutely impressive. So congrats to the Chiefs. Congrats to the 49ers. I think we got Earl calling back. If he did, he just hung up. So. Uh-huh. Remember that time uh, when you did the show by yourself and I called in at the end of the show? And uh, I was on hold for like 20 minutes. <laughs> it was a bad job by the host. Myself, no, no, it was a bad not, job by, the, by inter- the co-host. No, no, no. It was all the host. I should have. But, yes, Mark, if you do remember the show or don't remember the show, Mark called in and ended the show, wasn't feeling great. We wanted to get on anyway towards the end, and myself and Errol were locked into a big Knicks <laughs> conversation. So funny. And next thing you know, it's poor Mark, you see, it's like 15 minutes, he goes, let's go. What, you know. Well, because I'm wondering, because like, the show, has, show ends at 11, and we're, 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 we're getting to 11.05 here, you know? So <laughs> When the it, boss is on, listen, it, we're going right. as long as we're allowed that's to. That's right. Um, so that was obviously a, and then he a, a hung fun up. time. And he called in, he hung up, what, we didn't answer the phone fast enough, Errol? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> so, again, the Chiefs and the 49ers will be in Super Bowl 54 out there in Miami. Well, obviously, two weeks, a lot, a lot, a lot to talk about, a lot to unpack. Super Bowl 54, you believe that, man? Crazy. Crazy. Yeah, and I, I think that's what I'm looking forward to is we're going to, Ryan and I, either next week or, or Thursday, have our NFL all-time team between the two of us. And, uh, you know, the 22 starters and all oh, so much that we got – out of doing college football. And last week, one of the favorite things was when we were talking about the list of great college football players. And 
what players should have been higher. Of course, for me, like I, I inverted it, so higher for me meant, meant different, you know, higher number. As I remember, we, I, I kind of confused you a little bit. Uh, but yeah, I think doing that for the NFL is going to be a lot of fun. And uh, like come up with some other things too, like, uh, like greatest or, or top five, maybe Super Bowl plays, top five Super Bowl uh, MVPs as far as most impressive, you know, stuff like that maybe we can do. I don't know. It's just uh, there's so much now. It's 54 Super Bowls, okay? You know, I remember when they did the, uh, the uh, NFL Network did America's Game. That was for 40 Super Bowls. And I, I love that. I still go back and watch some of it. And they still do it every year. And I, I remember thinking, watching like the Steelers one and uh, the Giants one of 1990. And if you really want to watch something good too, uh, I did over the weekend. There is a video on Amazon uh, that, that goes, they, they have the Niners dynasty and the Steelers dynasty. And it starts with kind of how they were built and what those seasons were like. I loved it. Hmm. That's interesting. Amazon, you got to check, definitely check that out. If you want to give us a call and you know what, what suggestions you want to see ranking-wise, 845-478-3272. That's 845-478-3272. If you have your choice, who was more impressive yesterday, the Chiefs or the 49ers? Patrick Mahomes, again, leads the Chiefs offensively, throwing all over the Titans, established their will on the Titans when we used to see that in reverse. Um, or was it the 49ers basically telegraphing and telling the Packers, we are running the ball. 42 out of 50 plays, they ran the ball, and the Packers still could not stop it to the tune of 285 yards for the 49ers offense. So who's more impressive, Chiefs or 49ers? 845-478-3272. We'll get to that. Also, the Giants make an offensive coordinator hire. So Mark both talked about how important that is once Joe Judge was hired to get yeah, an offensive coordinator. from Alabama, yeah. We have it locked down. We'll, get, we'll tell you who that is, what it means for Daniel Jones going forward, and a, still a ton of baseball to get to. MLB Hall of Fame ballot to tell you who should be in uh, on our ballot, who the Mets' new manager will be, and why the Astros give themselves an even bigger target on their back going forward to 2020. All that as the Morning Boys roll on. Ryan Hickey, Mark Everkelly right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're, you're listening to the Morning Boys on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Morning, boys. Are back right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Ryan Hickey and Mark Everkeller with you until 11 a.m. on the East Coast. We are here every Monday and Thursday. So again, if you're still just trying to get back into swing things with the new year, kind of back into your normal work routine, and if that hopefully does involve uh, you listening to us in some capacity on your way to work in the morning when you're getting ready, I know you usually 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 listening to us uh, Tuesday, Friday. But again, with the new year comes a new time, new days, so every Monday, Thursday, same time, same place. Same bad time. Same, same time, same place. Yep. It's a little bit different days, Monday and Thursday. And again, all the great devices or, or outlets and streams we're on, whether it's YouTube, Periscope, Facebook, TuneIn, excuse me, Radio.com, WorldWideSportsRadio.com. You can watch, listen to us, and as well as read all the articles that myself – Mark, as long as the other, as well as me, the other hosts, um, the talented hosts, write as well. So all the great content that you, if you're a Worldwide Sports Radio fan, want and crave, it is found there, WorldwideSportsRadio.com. Again, all the different outlets, tune in, Radio.com, 
Facebook, we have not only the Worldwide Sports Radio Network Facebook page, we also have our own, the Morning Boys uh, page. If you type that in and like us, you'll get an alert every time the show uh, fires up every Monday, Thursday, as well as every article that myself and Mark write will be posted in that on that page as well. Uh, Mark wrote some great articles this week, now working on a great one. Um, or excuse me, last week we were working on a great one this week by Andy Reid. And what's different about this Chiefs team? What is different? Andy Reid, so many times we've seen him come up short in big playoff games. Mark is diving into the numbers, diving into the reasons why the Chiefs, the 2019 Chiefs, are different team than the 2018 Chiefs, different than all the Eagles teams that went to so many conference championships and lost, and again, different than an 05 Eagles team that went to the Super Bowl and lost as well. So, Mark, obviously, we talked a ton about both playoff games, the Chiefs beating the Titans and the Packers losing to the 49ers. Mm. We also had some news over the weekend as well. As locally here, New York Giants finally made their decision on offense coordinator. And both myself and you, when Joe Judge was hired, not really knowing too much about him, but knowing he came from New England, not too much head coaching experience, and really just was relegated to special teams, his important hire was going to be offense coordinator because how young and how talented this offense is. And you need someone that wasn't Pat Shermer to take this offense to the next level, right? Bring some ingenuity, bring some creativity, right. and really help Daniel Jones develop into a franchise quarterback. And the Giants believe they've done that with hiring no one else other than Jason Garrett, the guy they were going to hire and interview uh, for their head coaching position before they interviewed and fell in love with Joe Judge. And now the former Cowboys head coach, the Clapper, as so many people affectionately like to call him, is now the offensive coordinator of the New York Giants. Now, Mark, what are your thoughts on this? Because obviously we, it's two different things, right? First of all, let's just put that out there because I think a lot of people kind of want to combine his head coaching abilities with the Cowboys and basically say, well, that's how he's going to be with the Giants. No. His head coaching, how he was, is going to be way different than his role and his ability as an offensive coordinator. So do you like the move? Dislike it? What are your, what are your initial thoughts on it? I do. I think that he needs a little bit of experience there. I think he knows the NFC East. I think he's always been the kind of a good play caller when he did call plays. He hasn't done it since 2012. So, but that was something he chose to do. He wanted to focus more on being a head coach. So I got no problem with that. I think he's going to be fine. I think the Giants need guys who have experience to help judge. I think judge will be fine. I think you let him worry about the discipline. You let him worry about setting the tone, about setting up the practice schedules, about each player kind of and each coach being accountable to do their job uh, and being able to teach and making sure that they have everything they need to, um, you know, be successful. That's kind of, you know, as a head coach, you wear a lot of hats. And you learn that as you go on. Not every uh, NFL coach knows that, like I would know here. Uh, as I'm teaching the NFL head coaches how to coach. Uh, Mark, Mark yeah. Everett Kelly's School of Coaching. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the uh, seminars begin next week. And Different uh, and more expensive than Mark Every School of Fundamentals in Basketball. Don't forget that segment. Oh, well, yes. That, now that teaching is, uh, how to set a pick, the, uh, elite. boxing out. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That was hey. Mark is Mr. Fundamentals when it comes to basketball. That's right, man. If you don't, if you don't uh, knock a guy on their butt, uh, you know. Setting well, a screen. Waste, well, that was my, my theory. Waste one foul. You waste one foul, so, you know, setting, setting the tone. You so if those, if those were interested. I, the, the school of fundamentals <laughs> was elite, that and day, that was – talk about, like, getting a bang for your buck. I hope, I hope NFL offensive coordinators, assistants are listening <laughs> because the Mark Everett School of Head Coaching, NFL Head Coaching, is just <laughs> as similar, if not better, yeah. than the school of fundamentals. We saw how far That's that gets right. you. So coaches that are listening, assistants, 
maybe even you know grad assistants on the college level that aspire to be head uh, coaches. Yeah. Forget about Saban. Forget about Belichick. You like you, you know. Give us a call. To the, we'll the, set the you Mark up with Kelly School of, of, of uh, NFL head coaching. And he will hit you with some knowledge. Yeah, whose uh, experience is that uh, he's rooted for a team for 45 years that have never been or hosted an AFC championship game. So you know what not to do. You've yeah, seen 45 that's, years that's of, right. all right, fellas, this you is know what, what we're not You know what not do. to do in life either. <laughs> you know, basically, you know, the George theory, you know, do the opposite. And look how well that worked out for George in Seinfeld. Right. He yeah. became, you know, he's dating a nice woman. <laughs> Money, job, everything's working out for him. They, the Mark Everett School of Opposites. Bizarro. What not to do. Bizarro yeah. world. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> I, the, the what not to do. I could, I, could, I, could, I could school some people in what not to do. Sign up. Seats are limited. Very limited. We'll say that. They're going fast. Give us a call, and Mark will set you up with uh, everything you need not <laughs> to know. That's right. What not to do when you're an NFL head coach. You, you know what's funny is uh, I, I, I play NBA 2K. You know, I, I think uh, you know that. Uh, I've been trying to get you to, you know, to, but you, you're not a, a basketball gamer. Um, well, I don't know, you don't have a gamer, period, right? I, no, I, you know, with how you are with cell phones is how I am <laughs> with, oh boy, that is with bad. video game consoles. Oh, Mark had luck. an old school phone, lost it, basically just has been off the grid for, what, three months, essentially? No, it's oh. been since, since Thanksgiving. Yeah, that was, that was in November. It's now January. I know. Right, I, haven't made a, I haven't made a phone call since. <laughs> I, haven't t- I haven't got a text from Mark in, yeah, two months at least. Mark is all off the grid. Um, so that how you are with a cell phone, not really needing it, not really wanting it, I still have a PlayStation 2 original as the gaming console that I, I have in my house. Got an Atari. With uh, the latest game, I think, is like NHL 12, 2K12. So that is like the most recent up-to-date game I have. <laughs> So, yes, yeah, so how you are with cell phones, how I am with video games. Okay. Sorry, let me cut you up, but just, a, yeah, just to let cool. you know. So, do you play 2K? That's cool. I play 2K. So, uh, I'm playing it um, uh, the other night, Thursday or Friday. And uh, you got this, this one guy that I found online. Uh, he's actually a, a, a young kid, lives in Georgia. And uh, we, play, we, we play on each other's team. And we, we, we do well, okay? Um, so, we're playing these two guys in two-on-two. And these guys are... They're, it's what screws up in 2K, too, because your overall grade doesn't really matter. It matters where your, uh, where your level is. So your level and your grade are two different things. The level is kind of what you play when you're in the park or you're in Pro-Am. And because some guys don't choose to power up right away, they choose to kind of go at it, you know, where they, they do it through the game, where you could kind of buy your way to 85 um, and 85 overall. Some of these guys start off at 50 and just kind of play their way up. So they're all-star level. These guys could be a lot lev- more skilled. It's just that they're, they don't have a higher number. So we're getting our butts kicked by a 75 and an and a, and a 80. And both of us are 97s, okay? And, uh, but then we're coming back, all right? And we're starting to steal the ball, and, and we're now down by, like, four. Okay. Okay? And... Then I go and I grab an offensive rebound and I go to pick it up. My guy, my guy can't shoot at all. And it, the thing is, usually he can dunk or, or do layups, but he missed, missed the layup. And then as I'm trying to get the ball back, I foul the guy and I foul out. Oh, no. And I said that, like, once you foul out, like, and, and these guys were, were killing us. I, like, like, literally, I, got, I must have gotten fouled like 10 times that game. And I fell out. And I, I, I didn't know I had five fouls. And then, so then not only does the game shut off, because then you get kicked out of the game. And then you got to go back to the beginning, and then you got to find your friend and all that. But the whole system shut me out. Wow. Yeah, I couldn't get back on out. my PS4. 
Wow. So I just had to go to bed. Ah, screw it. So yeah. the school of fundamentals doesn't translate over to two. No, I wish it did. You know, I, I am not good. I have like a thirty per winning percentage because I, I don't care. I'll, I'll play with anybody. I, I just I just like to play. You know. But that, now the thing about two K twenty is that once you get ninety five or above, you you get rated on every game. So um, if you don't get a ninety five or above, then you're gonna you're you're gonna go down. So if you look at it, you could start like uh, be, work your way up to a 97, and then go back down, and then if you go back down, you lose point, you lose uh, like player um, points, you know. So you instead of being an 89 at an inside shot, you're an 88 at an inside shot, and that matters. Wow, are, are th that's mm. stuff. Little I Little things that matter, right? Come thing, on. Yes, that's a great point. Little things uh, that pay matter. attention to the details, right, Rick? Yeah, we got we got Ricky uh, Ricky Hauser here. He's going to be an intern for us. Uh, Starting uh, pretty 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 soon. Uh, we we I mean, I haven't really talked about yet uh, when these guys will start. I, I thought it'd be by Wednesday, but uh, Ricky's about to go back to the University of New Haven, right, Rick? Yes, sir. Okay, so uh, actually, Rick, why, why don't you join us here just just just, just for a couple minutes, um, and then we, we can get back to to what we're doing. But this is this is our our intern here, Ricky Hauser. Uh, Rick, put on uh, one of those the headsets there. Um, Watch him bubbling and, and stumbling in, into into the chair. Um, it took me a second. Yeah, um, but real, real real quick, Ricky. Um, uh, what, what's your opinion here of the show and of your your sports knowledge overall? Um, do you, do you, what 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 kind of who who do you like as far as uh, guys on the radio? Well, first off, I'm loving the show. Uh, I well, that's easy. Pass, well, pass the we test. don't need a brown Ricky, noser here, Rick. Guess what? You're hired. Okay? Yeah, no, that no, was no. the interview. That's real great, Rick. Okay. That was the, that's why Mark brought you down. Yeah. That was the interview. Glad you like the show? It. Okay, you're hired. Yeah, good. Uh, yeah, I love the show. Okay, great. Uh, as for personalities, for the most part, I, uh, I'm a big fan of Good Morning Football on NFL Network. Yeah, that's good. That's a huge one for me. Uh, Rick, I mean, that competes with our time slot. <laughs> I know, Rick. Come on now. You're, now you're I take back the offer. <laughs> now you're teetering. We right. got team up. I, yeah. But I only watch it on Tuesday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Now we're cruising. <laughs> now he's back up there. It's like, it's like the player points, right, Mark? Together. You right. can lose. Rick lost points. Okay, he's starting again. <laughs> back up. He's back at the back. 95. We're talking NBA. Okay, there you go. It, it relates. There you go. The, oh, the yeah. little things matter. The details right. matter. Details matter. Glad I got my points back. Um, <laughs> I forget. I loved uh, Boomer Esiason's show. That was good for me. Back, uh, I used to listen to it when I'd go with my father to the city in, uh, back in like 2016, 2017, mainly because I was just a high school kid going to college and wanted to see what he did for work. Okay, so you're at the University of New Haven, right? And uh, you, you wanted, uh, actually, Rick's dream job is a, to be a baseball general manager. And uh, Ryan and I were trying to encourage him, you know, don't give up on your dreams. He's got uh, professors over there at University of New Haven that would tell him he can't do it. And I just don't get it. I think those university professors, they're also, they're also stuck in their high and mighty horses that they don't have time for little people such as yourself. But uh, Ryan and I are, are little people. And uh, we would encourage you to be that, uh, that next Theo Epstein uh, and go and take a, a team that hasn't won a World Series. Like, um, the Mets. How about the, the Mets, Mets? Or the Texas Rangers. I would uh, love know? to be the yeah. GM of the Mets, hopefully one day. Well, hey, you Maybe never know. know. I mean, we'll have new management coming in, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, Van Wagen, and I, I don't know. He's not really 
impressing me so far. Stevie Cohen's going to come with a lot of money, Rick. So if That's you want right. to spend, you can it's, you can spend. It's going to be a whole new world. I read an article actually recently that Reggie Jackson has con tried to convince Steve Cohen to buy teams like the Athletics, the Dodgers, the Yankees, and he always said, "I want to buy the Mets." That's right. Let's go. Okay, there you go. Our Let's guy. go Mets. Let's there go Mets. Go. Well, Rick, uh, thank you for coming aboard. Uh, you're going to be doing some social media for us. And, uh, you know, I, I know we, we put you on the spot here a little bit, Rick, so you did okay. Thank you for having me, and yeah. uh, always a pleasure. You did okay. Congrats on passing Congrats, the test, Rick. Rick. Thank that you. Was a, that was a, yeah. clo a close call there, but he passed the test. He did. got his points back. He did. He got <laughs> it. After going down, you know, he had a did. bad game, he got, his, he got his shooting points back. He did. And uh, back on the up and up. He did. Um, so let's talk about all that. Right, Quick, uh, you know. Let's get back on a horse. All right, so quickly, before, because I do want to talk about the Mets and their head coaching, or the, excuse me, the managerial search we just talked about there. Right. But quickly, with Jason Garrett. I'm with you. I do like it. Um, and you know what I like, too, a lot about it is that Jason Garrett comes from the backup quarterback uh, role when he was a player. And I think that, you look at guys like Frank Reich, Doug Peterson, kind of having those same roles. Right. I think that it's like a catcher in, in baseball, right? They always say about catchers will be the best managers because they are kind of, they have to know every single part yeah, of what everyone right. is doing. That's kind of the backup quarterback, right? You always have to be prepared. So you're always overprepared. You're always ready to go at any moment. Right. And you kind of have to know, what, especially off offensively, what everyone else is doing, receivers, running backs, offensive line. Same thing with the catcher. So that's why I do like coming, well, at least Chase Garrett, coming from that background where he can kind of get Dan Jones ranks. That, that's the big thing. My big concern now, at least with, with Garrett, was his play calling duties being stripped, like you said, back in, I think, after the 2012 season, heading to 2013. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, he lost in favor of Bill Callahan, then Scott Linhan, and then obviously Kellen Moore. So it's a little concerning that those kind of guys were passed over and thought higher of, at least of calling plays, than Jason Garrett. But I'll give him the pass where to you said, head coaching, a lot of responsibilities lie on your plate. It's easier to just kind of delegate those responsibilities and those duties. Not to mention, too, I mean, his main role is going to be, Jason Garrett's main role is going to be, is develop Daniel Jones, right? Mm -hmm. Get him to the next level. Not only that, have Saquon Barkley develop with him, Darius Slayton, Sterling Shepard, Evan Ingram. So I do, from a development perspective, kind of look at what Frank Reich and Doug Peterson, how they developed Carson Wentz, and then especially Andrew Luck coming back from injury. Mm -hmm. Amish Kobe Brissett this year, getting, I think, the most out of that he could. I, I think J.C. Garrett could be like those two guys in Frank Reich and Doug Peterson, yeah. kind of model himself after that, which I think is an absolutely good thing for the Giants. To your point, Joe Judge needed a mm -hmm. coach with some experience. He, I mean, 10 years, can't get much more experience than as a head coach. That will yeah. help him also – Day to day, yeah. give some input on what you know, what this should look like, what should happen. And you, so you look at his overall as far as uh, when he was offensive coordinator of Dallas, two thousand seven and two thousand ten. As far as yards, uh, overall they were fourth in the NFL, seventh in the NFL, and second in the NFL, two thousand seven, eight, and nine. As far as yards, pretty good. That's not bad. So, yeah, I think overall, like I said, I think it kind of checks every box that Joe Judge and the Giants looking for, and I do think, like I said. As long as Daniel Jones, he helps develop him, come from that quarterback position, can kind of relate. I think that would be an overall big win for the Giants going forward, and it will help elevate their, their offense even more. So congratulations on Jason Garrett. And like you said, too, having familiarity in the division is also key as well. Yeah. So congrats to Jason Garrett for getting the job. Good job by Joe Judge of the Giants for hiring someone with experience. And, again, that have that vision, knowing what is most important, yeah. that is getting the franchise quarterback set and the wheels in motion. It's perfect because people wanted it. Like, was he going to be head coach? I don't think many people wanted him to be head coach. No. Oh, no, no, no. But they did want him to be, uh, as an offensive coordinator, that's perfect. Exactly, I think, what the Giants need, and I think it's going to really pay off for them. Right, you're 100% right there. So good for the Giants. Congrats to Jason Garrett, and we'll see. It'll be a lot of fun going forward seeing him, those two kind of develop 
you would hope and you would think for years to come. So we come back a ton of baseball, right? We obviously talked a lot about the Astros sign stealing sign stealing there we go. scandal. You, 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 did, you got that sign Holy stealing. Smokes. You did that the other day. Remember sign stealing scandal? Like Sally sells she sells by the shoe store. We 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 commented on that. Yes, Ryan. it happened. I didn't learn my lesson. <laughs> sign stealing scandal. Sign stealing scandal. Say that ten times yeah. fast. Well, I should probably. I don't know why people could. I just can't can't articulate today. But a lot to get to, right? The Astros spoke. The Mets fired their manager, and we also have an MLB Hall of Fame ballot to get to as well. So all that coming up. It is the morning, boys. Ryan Hickey, Mark Everett, with you on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're, you're listening to the Morning Boys on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It is the Morning Boys, Ryan Hickey, Mark Everett Kelly with you on a bright, very bright, but very cold also Monday morning right here. Very cold. On Long Island in the Northeast. Thanks so much for tuning in on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network every Monday, Thursday, 8 a.m. to 11 a.m. Right here only, exclusively mm-hmm. on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. We are digitally all over the map. So anywhere you stream podcasts, live radio, um, digitally, we are all over those platforms. Tune in, Facebook, YouTube, um, radio.com, worldwidesportsradio.com. So you can find a ton of content, um, articles, Live shows, watch the shows. So all over digitally, you can find us. We are all over the map here and constantly growing as well, which is exciting as well um, as the Worldwide Sports Radio Network continues to grow. And that's all thanks to you in part, the listener. So thank you for that. Thank you for tuning in on this Monday morning, on this Martin Luther King Monday morning, a yeah, holiday weekend. Right. So happy Martin Luther King Day. Hopefully a lot of you are enjoying the nice day off, remembering their significance and staying warm as well. Speaking of Martin Luther King, uh, the article I wrote um, was about uh, – when I was 15 years old, watching uh, more uh, Nixon Bulls, the evolution of the <clears throat> how the .3 seconds rule came into effect <clears throat> in the NBA. Okay, uh, where they will you can no longer uh, get a shot off in less than that, and that started that day when Trent Tucker supposedly hit a shot with one tenth of a second on the clock um, to beat the Bulls, and then they said, you know, there's no way you can get a shot off in that. And so the, after that game, they then put in a rule. For three, it's got to be at least three tenths of a second. And it happened on Martin Luther King Monday, January fifteenth, nineteen ninety. I was in my uh, my room, at, and, you know, when I lived in St. James, a uh, little fifteen year old. This is about, it was only about uh, eleven months before I wound up getting sick. Um, but yeah, that was uh, that's why did. we didn't have cable when I was a kid, so I had to listen to games on the radio. Wow, and look at that! And that day will we'll live in infamy. That's right. If you're a, a so you can read fan. about that uh, at uh, that whole day, and also a special like Martin Luther King was one of my uh, heroes. Uh, along with Jackie Robinson, Magic Johnson, like these, these are, uh, you know, my mom always taught me too. Character is what matters. Uh, skin, skin, skin color, all that doesn't matter. Uh, matters the, the character of of your, uh, of who you are. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think uh, no better example of that than Dr. King. Absolutely, talk about it, one of the best role models uh, that there are. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Mark, the MLB Hall of Fame will make their announcement of who is getting in tomorrow. So in preparation of that, in anticipation of that, figure why not? Why don't we put our ballots right? If we were if we were cast a vote on the Hall of Fame, who would we put in and why? Mm. Um, do you want to go first? Or you want me to give my ballot first of, of guys I would put in? You go first. Okay. So I would put in six players: Barry Bonds, who had 59% of the vote last year. I would put in Roger Clemens, who had just a little bit more, 59.5% last year. Kurt Schilling at 61%. I would put in Derek Jeter, first time on the ballot. 
Manny Ramirez and Sammy Sosa, who Sammy Sosa had 8.5% of the vote last year, probably no shot in hell of getting the, in, the, in, the, uh, in the Hall of Fame. But for me, at least, as you can see, pro-steroid guy putting in the Hall of Fame. To me, with all the cheating, and this kind of, kind of brought light, at least this week, obviously, with all the cheating acquisitions of, of the Astros and, and thus of other teams as well, to me, at least, the numbers don't lie, and it still takes a lot of talent to be at the top of the game. So whether it's steroids, whether it's pitch selection, or pitch knowing what pitch is coming is, is different as well. But to mm-hmm. me, at least, Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Kurt Schilling, Manny Ramirez, Sammy Sosa, five guys that were connected one way or another, never proven guilty or, or were, of using steroids. To me, at least, you have to put them in the Hall of Fame, and their numbers their – numbers dictate them going to the Hall of Fame. You want to put an asterisk there or some sort of footnote describing that they were alleged to have used steroids, I'm fine with that. But to me, at least, you have baseball and the Hall of Fame recognizes the best. To me, at least, you have to put the best in there one way or another. And I know we talked about this when it comes to the NFL Hall of Fame, when it comes to Eli Manning's um, case that he has, right, when that comes up in a few years down the line. I personally would rather have a stricter Hall than a lighter hall. Right? I'd rather see guys that maybe deserve to get in that don't get in rather than vice versa where now we're kind of letting fringe guys get in and thus open the floodgates for less and less qualities to, you know, to kind of get into the door. And once you start comparing racers, well, this guy got in, so this obviously he has similar numbers. He has to get in. To me, that opens a can of worms and, again, lets more guys in and waters down the entire process and entire importance of the Hall of Fame. But mm-hmm. to me, at least with, with Barry Bonds' numbers, Roger Clemens, Kurt Schilling, Obviously, those guys are – you don't have to really dive into those. But Derek, you do the same thing. Even many Ramirez, right? I feel like this guy who – until I really dove into numbers, I watched him when I was younger. But, you know, impact on the game, impact in his era at least, it, it jumps out. Manny was one of those guys. And Sammy Sosa as well. Like, you look at Sammy's numbers, for whatever reason, he does not – like, you would think all the steroid guys that get the same treatment or not, right? Mm-hmm. Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Kurt Schilling, for the most part, have been grouped together, steroids guys, but also been grouped together voting-wise, right? Yeah. All three of those guys are right around 60%. So those kind of three are a package. Sammy Sosa, for whatever reason, has left out of that. He's left out of that group. He's been kicked out. And, again, at 8.5% of the vote he got last year, he's not going to make it in the Hall of Fame. Because you're on his eighth year of the ballot. He, time is running out, and there's, he will not make that jump in. Mm-hmm. But it's just like you look at his numbers. He won the MVP in 1998. Six other times he finished in the top ten in MVP voting, which right. at least to me is important, right? Because that shows how good were you at the time when you played and how good were you compared to others. Yeah, MVP voting and top ten MVP voting, to me at least is important because that's a great judge on era and how, you, how good you were when you played compared to other people. And obviously he has you know, over the 600 home runs. Only player in MLB history with 60 or more home runs in three different seasons. Yeah, right. So at least to me the numbers – bear out that he uh, belongs to get in. Now, if you are anti-steroid guy, I get why you wouldn't put him in. But to me, at least, it's ridiculous that Sammy Sosa is not in the same class as Barry Bonds, Kurt Schilling, Roger Clemens. Like, it's, I don't know why he's off the bandwagon and why he got left behind. But to me, if I'm putting those three guys in, I'm putting Sammy Sosa in. So those are my six, Bonds, Clemens, Schilling, Derek Jeter, Manny Ramirez, and Sammy Sosa with the six I would put in if I had a right. vote. Who, uh, who are you? Th- are you pro-steroid, anti-steroid? Well, what, see, what are your thoughts? Here's the thing. Uh, um, we, I have to keep the, the steroid guys out of it because okay. I, I, not because I want to. I mean, I, I really, it's not really an issue for me, but it, it becomes one now that all these other things are happening. Why were these guys kept out of the Hall of Fame in the first place? It's got to be because of steroids. So if they're out th- for that reason, why now is it, are they allowed to come in? So 
e either or. Either they're not, all of them stay out, or all of them can come in. I'm 100% okay? with Consistency so, one way or the other, I'm totally with you. So if you're right. out, A-Rod, out. Right. All those other guys, alleged, possibly, uh, David Ortiz, out. Right. Anyone with suspects uh, that has, you know, suspicion of, of using it, I should say, out. I'm right. totally with you, Mark. That's so I get six guys? Okay. No, no, no. You have to get up to ten, I believe. I, I took oh, six. Right. You get ten votes right. on, yeah, on uh, the ballot. I took six guys that I would put in. Here are your guys that I would put in out, uh, outside of the steroid guys. I mean, obviously, Manny, Sosa, Clements, um, those guys would be in if the steroids. Uh, Giambi uh, and Sheffield, uh, I would have to think about. I have to look at the numbers, but... Uh, for anyway, as far as uh, non-steroid guys, Todd Helton gets in. Uh, really? Three, okay. 316 career batting average, uh, 2,500 hits, always one of the best players in the NL, uh, finished uh, at, at, in the top five of MVP, uh, oh, excuse me, in the top ten of MVP four, four different times, always won uh, a silver slugger. I know he was in Colorado, and, you know, people, oh, Colorado, he's, you know, but when you bat 316 and you have over 1,400 RBIs and 1,400 runs scored, that to me is, is, a, is, a, is a pretty good career offensively. Okay, I don't care where you play. Uh, Derek Jeter, obviously, uh, deserves to be uh, inducted in. Jeff Kent. You and put Jeff Kent in. Yeah, I mean, Jeff Kent, I wouldn't put him in the, uh, the best person Hall of Fame since he's a miserable person. Uh, this is the best thing I could say. Uh, let's just say racism is still alive and well in the, in the Kent house. Um, but uh, I, I, I would, as far as numbers, Jeff Kent is, deserves to be because Kent put up very good numbers for second baseman. I mean, you got to understand that the kind of hallmark for second baseman for a long time was Joe Morgan. And Morgan was a guy who for most of, I mean, most of my lifetime was the leader in, in home runs for second baseman. Uh, I think most people judged uh, second baseman in their Hall of Fame worthy on Joe Morgan. Uh, you know, Ryan Sandberg a little later came along and, and became what, like, a second baseman should be. Uh, but if, if you're just looking at Jeff Kent at, at his numbers here, okay, he's uh, got 377 home runs. That is more than Sandberg and Morgan, okay? 290 career batting average. We're talking about a guy who won MVP with Barry Bonds on the team. Um, always one of the good players in the lineups that he was in, with the exception of when he started his career with the Mets. Actually, he was traded for David Cohen, if you can remember that. Him and Ryan Thompson were the two guys that they got for David Cohen. Uh, but <clears throat> finished with 2,400 hits, thir over 1,300 runs. Now, as good as Jeff Kent was, uh, Todd Helton has more runs scored, and he's got 100 uh, less RBIs, but uh, just to give you an idea how good, Todd Helton scored over 14 runs for a guy that was, you know, not considered a great base runner, okay? So, but Jeff Kemp for second baseman, 1,500 RBIs, 377 home runs, 560 doubles, just under 2,500 hits. <clears throat> he should be in a Hall of Fame if we're talking about second baseman. Okay. His numbers are second baseman worthy for Hall of Fame. Maybe not corner outfielder, but for second baseman, definitely. So you have three guys so far, Derek <clears throat> Jeter, Jeff Kent, and Todd Helton, okay. non and you're and you're again, you're not putting steroid guys in. So those yeah, are your right. three guys. It's, yeah, and uh, maybe one of the, I, I guess uh, one of the, my pitchers maybe could be. Uh, I know that he tested positive once, but I, I don't consider him a steroid guy. But okay, Kurt Schilling definitely, postseason record alone, should be uh, in the postseason. Always a clutch pitcher. 
Um, not not really one of the more likable guys, I think, at times. You think? He, he can be opinionated. Oh. <clears throat> um, he's oh, gotten, yeah. <clears throat> he said some things I obviously don't agree with, um, you know, maybe. Politically, maybe. Yeah. I mean, politically, it doesn't matter where, where you fit in. I think they're nuts on both sides of the aisle. So um, I, I think, though, his willingness to say some things. Uh, look, I, I believe everybody should say what they want to say as long as they're being honest. Uh, the last thing on earth I want people to be is politically correct and then hide who they really are. That's the biggest joke. Um, just be who you are. People like you. They like you if they don't. But either way, uh, Schilling is a guy that I think, based on numbers, should be in Hall of Fame. Always a big, big game pitcher. Guy that, you know, I think of his performance in the 1993 World Series after the Blue Jays uh, kind of came back and beat the Phillies in game four. And, and it was like all the Phillies pitchers were used and, and like everybody was exhausted in their team. And uh, Schilling had to go out and kind of single-handedly get them to game six. And he did, like 135 pitches uh, to, to beat the Blue Jays that day. That to me was a, a real courageous performance. Uh, I, I don't, the bloody shock and all that I think was so overrated and it just makes me angry thinking about it because I hated those Red Sox teams. But I, I think a big-time pitcher in, in, in the postseason always usually came through a first team. Okay. Uh, another guy I think should be uh, a pitcher, this is the guy that maybe steroids or not, is Pettit. I think, really? Yeah. I, I think Pettit is, was in a number of, obviously he was almost in the postseason every year, but Pettit had some stinkers. Um, in the postseason, but he never really had back-to-back bad games. And I think for someone who never really rooted for the Yankees outside of a couple years when they they played the the Red Sox in the playoffs, uh, I thought Pettit was one of the guys who who the Yankees definitely relied on. I remember when he went to, to to me, a big shock was when he left the Yankees and went to Houston uh, for a couple years. But even with Houston, he did okay in the postseason. I think he's a guy that is underrated, uh, 256 career wins, uh, and in, in, in the postseason, he won, <clears throat> look it up here, uh, 19 postseason wins, mm-hmm. okay, yep. which includes uh, five in the World Series, <clears throat> five in the World Series, uh, but you look at guys like Greg Maddox, Greg Maddox has uh, like a losing record, I believe, in the postseason, same thing with Tom Glavin, so uh, to be eight games over 500, uh, have an ERA of, of 3.8, well, we're talking about 44 starts, so a healthy number of starts. And like I said, the big thing about Pettit is he never usually had back-to-back bad performances. He might get lit up like he did in game one of the World Series against the, the Braves, but then he came back and he pitched uh, what John Smoltz called the greatest game he pitched of his career, and Pettit was able to beat him one nothing in that game five. So I think Pettit deserves to be in. Uh, and then two other guys, I think, and then we'll get to the one that you, most people probably disagree with. I think Larry Walker, Paul Konerko, offensive numbers, should be in. Uh, okay. <clears throat> guys, you really, really didn't hear much about steroids throughout the career. Larry Walker, obviously, uh, we came up with the Expos, was uh, a, a, like a five-tool guy, five-star guy. And uh, the Expos in that 94 team that everybody talks about before they won the World Series this year, that was their, the greatest team that they had. And they don't, you know, now at least they get a rest from that. But Larry Walker, you know, after he left um, – after he left the, the Expos and then went to Colorado, he was always one guy who was in the MVP uh, you know, talk, uh, was a guy that, you know, whether or not he took advantage of Coors Field, I mean, I guess you can say he did, but he, he would have hit anywhere, Larry Walker. A career batting average of 313, uh, 20, you know, 
A little surprise, only 2,100 hits, but uh, he walked a lot too. So maybe you know that had to. You know, you know Ted Williams didn't have a lot of hits either. Um, is you would think he would have more, but he walked a lot too. Right. So career base uh, on base percentage of 400, which is great. Uh, 383 homers, 1,300 RBIs. Um, as far as MVP, uh, top five, one, two, three, three times in the in the top in the top five. And again, we're talking about a lot of you know always going against Bonds and, and you know pe- a lot of people in that in that category. Um, then toward the end of his career, went to the Cardinals, helped them get to a World Series. Uh, the Cardinals guy, you know, fans and, and players raved about him. He should be in. Konerko is another guy. I think he put up consistent stats, not like a Frank Thomas, uh, but a guy you would look at toward the end of his career and find out. Wow, you know, he put up pretty good numbers. You wouldn't think of it off. You know, off the top of your head, you wouldn't right. think, "Wow, Paul Konerko is an you know a dynamite offensive player." But um, you, you know, you look at his overall numbers: uh, two seventy nine hitter, uh, fourteen fourteen hundred RBIs though, eleven hundred runs scored, four hundred thirty nine homers. So, to me, in the era he played, where kind of steroids became an issue, and then they uh, it was frowned upon. So he was a guy you've never really heard about. Okay, as far as steroids, he had uh, f- four seasons of 40 homers, 100 RBIs, a guy that I, I think should be. Okay, now here's my <clears throat> my guy that most people would say. Ooh, risque, very uh, risque thing. Thinking of risque, Omar Vizquel. I, I, I think Omar Vizquel for a shortstop, he there wasn't an offensive shortstop like Jeter or A-Rod or um, no more, but he was a guy that <clears throat> was clutch. Uh, he played on uh, a lot of teams that won. He was a guy that, in the clubhouse, was always looked upon as one of the team leaders. And defensively, he was maybe a notch below a guy like Ozzie. He wasn't Ozzie Smith. Uh, maybe he wasn't even like a Ray Ardonia. So to me, he was probably one of the greatest building shortstops I've ever seen. It's a vacuum. Oh, my God. Ardonia's with the things he could do. Uh, but Vizquel was a guy that, you know, always was involved. He, he, he would get big hits. He played on a lot of teams, teams that made a lot of, you know, teams were usually in the postseason. Uh, 2,800 hits in his career, just under 2,900. And he played 24 years, so he was definitely a guy who played a long time. Uh, as far as postseason batting, 250 postseason hitter, not bad. You know, so I, I, I think he's a guy that won, you know, multitudes of gold gloves. Uh, that. That's my class. All right, that's it. If you want to give us a call on who you put in the Hall of Fame, 845-478-3272. It's 845-478-3272. Lenny from Long Island is giving us a call. Oh, Lenny. And you were on the morning, boys. What's going on, Lenny? Len- this morning? Lenny, you hung up on us the other day, Lenny. We're still a little annoyed at you, Lenny. I mean, you just kind of left us. Uh, yeah, well, I'm very busy. You know, I got people knocking on my okay. door. You know, tr- yeah, I have a I have. You got a people knocking on your door. I believe that. <laughs> I have a drug. I have a bus that drives by my house, and people say, "On the left, you'll see the Legends' uh, house." Anyway, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Larry Walker uh, because a lot of people take away his numbers based upon the fact that he, of course, played in Colorado. But here's some. You know, slash line. That's uh, batting average, on base percentage, yeah. and slugging percentage. Right. His numbers: um, two seventy eight, three seventy, four ninety five are equaled or best 
drafted only by 24 players in the history of baseball, not including active players. Wow. Uh, that's his road numbers, by the way, wow. road numbers. Okay. So people tend to discount what some of these Hall of Fame guys who made it Hall of Fame who played in cores, uh, you should take away their cores numbers. But his numbers you can take away are their spectacular even away from cores. <laughs> you can take away their beer, too. Yeah, now one other thing. Now, I don't know how, how familiar you guys are. I know you are. I think the biggest injustice in the Hall of Fame is that Maury Wills is not in the Hall of Fame. Mm, well, yeah, okay. Now, Maury well, Bill Mazeroski is, and Maury Wills isn't. You, you can believe well, that. Well, Mazeroski should be in there because uh, when Fantasy Baseball first started, Bill Mazeroski had the best magazine in the history of fantasy oh, baseball. Oh, okay. Well, I guess. And that's the truth, too. Yeah. Well, but I, anyway, that's, Hall, that's Hall of Fame worthy. These Lenny. are the things that you get when Lenny calls. Yeah. I mean, you know, this uh, is the kind Maury of analysis played, you don't get anywhere else. Yeah, Maury Wills changed the game so much that he even started the split screen when uh, mm -hmm. you could see the pitcher and the runner on first. That was Maury now, who Wills. would know that? Not who me. would know that, Lenny? I mean, that kind of information is just invaluable, but. Yeah, well, it's, it's all bulldog game pot. Doesn't mean a thing. I'll never get you. It'll never get you a better job or anything. But it's 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 fun to know. And finally, do you think that Derek Jeter would be a first ballot Hall of Famer if he did not play for the New York Yankees? Mm. Yeah, I do. How about that? If he was in the postseason as often as he was, yes. Yeah, if he has okay. same all same right. career right. with the three thousand hits, the Rangers, he's going in, Lenny. Yeah, three thousand hits, Lenny. I mean, you can't take that away from him, but still, and here's another one. If Maury Wills, I'm, I'm sorry, if Pete Rose yes. is not in the Hall of Fame because of what he did off the field, okay, I think that Jim Abbott should be in the Hall of Fame. Could you imagine a pitcher with one arm being an all-star? What, what do you mean? Oh, okay. Well, what about Pete Gray? Remember Pete Gray, right? Yeah, well, okay, that too. But he was, all right, he, anybody with one arm should I be bet in you the Hall of I bet you that nobody else knows who Pete Gray is. There you go. But the Pete Gray story. Did you hear Lenny's uh, bar for the Hall of Fame, the bar he raises? One arm you're in. Yeah, so one, any, yeah any that's right. Kids out there? Anybody with one arm belongs in the Hall, whether they're playing baseball or not, by the way. Okay. So that's it. So thanks, guys. Great going. I love listening to you. Even when I'm doing a podcast, I still listen to you guys at the same time. Well, hey, so yeah, yeah, I do, appreciate as long it. as you're not distracted, Lenny. Distracted? That's, yeah. the, that's my middle name. Okay. okay thanks. Dave, thanks for calling, Lenny. Thank you, as always, Lenny. Again, a very busy man. Very so busy man. Mr. Baseball, of course. He was the, the famous caller that complained we didn't talk enough baseball in December. <laughs> um, of course, Lenny's got to throw in it. When I was back in 1940 and, uh, you know, when I it used to be five cents to get into a ball game. See, that, that's the kind of stuff you get from Lenny. That is. And I love how he's, he said he's very busy. He, he is very up. busy. I'm very busy. I'm he very still busy, find guys. time to listen to Lenny. We do yeah. appreciate that. Like, I, you know, I call. I say what I got to say. I got to go, guys. Right. You know? Hey, which is, you know, very fair. It keeps the show going. And uh, he brought some interesting points. This is what I'll say about Larry Walker. You had him in. The My worry with Larry Walker, to your point, he had – Four times he finished in the top ten MVP-wise mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. 17 years. He was a five-time All-Star. Mm -hmm. Like th to me, that percentage just is, is not enough. I'm sorry. Like to, I understand. That would you to your point? When, you know, when you're competing against Barry Bonds mm -hmm. and you know Mark McGuire, same so it's kind of that same era. But doesn't mean you have to win. But you could finish three, four, five. Like he's only had four Give top ten. Give me finishes. something. Right. Yeah. So you're telling me four times he was the best player in the NL or in his respective league. 
out of 17 years, to me, I'm sorry, that's just not Hall of Fame worthy personally. I understand, like, you know, if you play long enough and the numbers, are, that's, what, that's my biggest worry in any Hall of Fame, compiler. So that would be Vizquel in, in your eyes? Yes. Okay. Got even like Frank Gore, right, who's now third mm. all-time in rushing. To me, it's just like, or fourth all-time, I believe, I'm sorry. But it's like he never was one of those dominant guys where you're like, Frank Gore is a top one, two, or three running back in any league, in, oh, I'm sorry, at any point in his career. Like a Harold Baines. Harold, right. Harold Baines was like the epitome of a compiler. Right. It's impressive that you are able to consistently play at a high level for that long, right? But the, the Hall of Fame is not the Hall of Consistency or the Hall of Great Careers or Long Careers. The Hall of Longevity. Hall, exactly. So it's a credit to you, and it's very impressive you were able to stay in the league for as long as you do, if it's 10, 15, 20, 25 years, and consistently is produce. But if you never were at any point the best player or one of the best players for a consistent stretch, to me that's where I, I draw the line where I wouldn't put him in. So that's why I, I would not have Larry Walker or Todd Helton or Omar Vizquelin personally. Okay. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's again, this is why the Hall of Fame is so great because everyone has their own criteria, their own that's opinion right. of who should get in and why. You're not steroid guys. I am. Who, like, who knows? Like, give me your guys again. All right, so my six were. Oh, but you got Roy's guys in, too. Yes, yeah, okay, yes, yeah. yes. Most, that, that, most, that, of them, most of them were, to be honest. That would have definitely switched mine, you know, because then I, I, I can't have you know, 14 guys right, going in. Yeah. Right, going, right. So I put in Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Kurt Schilling, Derek Jeter, Manny Ramirez, and Sammy Sosa. Sammy Sosa. So obviously most of those guys are steroid-related one way or another. So Now what about a guy like uh, – I'm looking at some of these other guys. Sure. Obviously, you know, Bobby Abreu, nice, but no. Right. You know, um, you know. Adam Dunn, no. Sean Figgins, no. Uh, Forcal, no. Um, Scott Rowland, Billy Wagner. Scott Rowland is an interesting guy. What do you think about Scott Rowland? I just, I mean, he was really good at third base. He was a really good third baseman. But to me, again, he just, for a consistent time, he was never kind of one of those guys where, like, stood every year and was like, ah, oh, man, I hate facing Scott Rowland. Like, anyone but Scott Rowland kind of. Like, that's, again, it's more about feel and just kind of going. So that's obviously a little bit of a uh, different preference than, you know, people would other have. But to me, the Scott Rowland was a, gr- a really good player. Mm-hmm. That's where it stops for me. Well, I mean, he's also the guy that hit the ball um, that who made the play. Andy Chavez. Oh, here you Game go. 7, 2006, he hit the fly ball, and Jim Edwards is on, you know, basically already at home plate by the time know, Andy, Andy right? Chavez caught the ball. So Scott, uh, Scott Rowland will live in infamy. But you again, remember who the pitcher was? Yeah, Oliver Paris. Don't right. forget. Ali P, who was up and down all year. Oh, my God. Pitched but, a, yeah. a gem for the most part. He did. In, um, uh, game you know, but how, how did they lose that game after that happened? I don't want to talk about it. I mean, like, everybody was going crazy. I mean, that was the one of the loudest I've ever heard Chase Stadium. And then they lose because they have bases loaded after rolling through the ball into the third row in, in, in the bottom of that inning to start the process. Was it Valentin struck out with the bases loaded against uh, Jeff Supan? If Jeff Supan, it was like, talk about Hall of Famer. I mean, <laughs> that series, Jeff Supan was a Hall of Famer. And, uh, and then, yeah, because he got out. I remember Valentin with the bases loaded, one out, striking out. And then Andy Chavez, I believe, made the final out of the inning. Um, and then from there, the Mets just, they couldn't hit Supan all game. Nope. It was uh, like you said, it was a tough one. I cried the first time I ever cried after a baseball game. Really? Did lost. You, did I did. Oh, I was eleven or twelve. Okay. Hysterical. I was heartbroken. So that was like your nineteen my uh, nineteen eighty eight when they lost to the Dodgers. That was like that to me. You know, yeah. just like how do you lose to this team? Beat them ten or eleven times. Cardinals were season. not good, and then you oh, saw the awful. way the, the the Tigers were just throwing the ball over the other World Series. Like that that should have yeah. been them. How good the Mets were all season long. It just I mean, it look, look at that Cardinals Still team. Still not over it. Scott Spezio and 
you know, uh, just the pitchers, Jeff, Preston Jeff Wilson. Reaver. Yeah, they yeah, were good. I mean, Adam Wainwright was their guy, but other than that, he was a closer too at that point, so it wasn't even like he was a starter. Who Wainwright? Yeah, yeah. So I was closer, so it's yeah. like he was, you know, again, yeah, right. Every, uh, I mean, uh, just just look at their their. their you know, Yadier Molina wasn't really uh, anything then. He's the guy that wound up burying us, but he he couldn't hit then. No, he's no, you know, he's Ed, not a good hitter. Edmonds was one of their, but but yeah, he was toward the end of his career, kind of. Uh, Preston Wilson was a guy who would, you know thought had a hole in his bat at times. Um, you know, I mean, who was it was the, frustrating. You know, uh, uh, just a, a team that wasn't one of the worst teams. Yeah. One of the worst teams to ever win a World Series. They only had, yep. what, 83 wins that year? Yeah, they barely were 500, right. <laughs> uh, how about this? Last guy, we'll say. How they about Andrew Jones? Would you put Andrew Jones in? Andrew Jones is, because Andrew Jones is probably the best fielding center fielder ever. And if we were going to take Andrew Jones from 19 to 28, yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. But then he f- totally fell off the map. I could, like, once he left the Braves, he not only was he, he was at, like, 158 one year with the Dodgers. I mean, he. He couldn't hit at all anymore. I'm totally with you. The first five, six, seven years of his career, he was elite. Yeah, 52 elite, homers like, one year. Right. Like said, best, one of the best fielders overall I've ever seen. He looked bored out there. It was so easy for him. And just, what, like you said, he just fell off a cliff. Like, not even that he just gradually declined. No, he I mean, yeah. just cliff. Boom. I mean, he couldn't even. I mean, that one year with the Dodgers could be one of the worst years of any uh, player in offensive baseball. I mean, I, I, I wondered, because Michelle and I talked about this, because she's a Braves fan, obviously, and uh, she loves Andrew Jones. And I remember Andrew Jones being, you know, batting number two in that lineup. You know, you had, had for call, then you had Andrew Jones or, or whoever the, the lead-up batter was. I mean, one year it was, uh, you know, Kenny Lofton, okay? And then Andrew Jones was always tough, tough out. And then, then you had Chipper and then, you know, the rest of those guys who used to give me nightmares. But... Um, you know, here, let me let me let me let me pull I have it right up. here. Andrew Jones okay. in two thousand eight at thirty one years old batted in seventy five games, one fifty eight for the Dodgers. He had thirty three hits in seventy five games, seventy six strikeouts, three homers, fourteen RBIs. Again, he played half the year. That is brutal. And right. it's not like he bounced back, got healthy, like no. he batted two fourteen, two thirty, two forty seven, one ninety seven to end his career. So he never recovered. No, just basically hanging on at that point towards yeah. for the end of his career. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, with the Yankees finishing his career, I believe with the Yankees, and you, you think, wow, this yep. guy at one point was, I mean, we're, we're talking the first, from 96 to 2007, this is what, he, uh, was what his numbers were. He had over 1,000 runs, um, over, uh, uh, he had 368 homers, over 1,000 RBIs, and, and this was in only 11, 11 seasons, okay? And he was 30 at the time. So his average season was 31 homers, 93 RBIs. And Fell he off just, the cliff. And not only that, but gold glove every year. And he could steal bases, 138 stolen bases over that time. Yeah, no, it was a steep, steep decline for Andrew Jones. That's why I would not put him in. So that yeah, if you have a uh, if you have any suggestions for the Hall of Fame again, what about Giambi? Four seven eight three two seven two. I would not put Jason Giambi in. No. Sheffield. No. I mean, they were feared hitter. Again, I just to me, there's either one trick ponies with Sheffield and home runs. To me, I just no. I just I never viewed them as Hall of Famers, so I'm not going to change it now. Personally, it used to be like they used to be the calling cards: five hundred homers, three thousand hits. Yes, I'm and glad that's anymore. changed now because it you know it well, has it should, to be. It yes. Uh, then you have a guy like Palmer. Like you want to talk about ridiculous numbers, Palmero. 
like he has over what 600 home runs and over 3,000 hits. Like uh, only like two or three guys have ever done that. And Just imagine if he came clean or admitted, it. like. Well, I remember I did never take. Yeah, yeah. I the mean, finger wagging. Yeah, that that that's what did it. This, because, who was more egregious, him or Bonds? Palmeira. He's a he was a face of the steroid scandal, right? That's the first. Person yeah, right. Or the first person you picture right. when you say st- – or the um, the con- congressional hearing. Yeah, the because 05, of that. That is the first guy you picture. That's really the only guy you picture. Yeah, and if he didn't do that, he would be in because these other guys are going to get in. And he had he had better – just as good a numbers as anybody. But it up his numbers against right. anybody. Which is why I don't get why Sammy Sosa is not getting the same love that Bonds, mm-hmm. Clemens, and Schilling are if you put those three together. But, again, the, the voters are – like I said, everyone has their own agenda. Everyone has their own thoughts and opinions. Um, so, if you, again, if you have your thoughts on who you put in the Hall of Fame as the announce or the results are announced tomorrow, 845-478-3272. We'll come back. The New York Mets, speaking of scandals, the guy wrapped up in one hiring Carlos Beltran, who was part of the 2017 Astros stealing scandal themselves. Guys, still didn't again, get it. Still keep, didn't get it. We're going to keep saying it. I'm, right. I'm going to stop. <laughs> forget it. Just the, the Astros. We're just going to say that. Right? No more sign <laughs> I'm retiring, or guys. stealing or scandal being thrown around no the more, same sentence. No more signs, no more stealing, and no more scandal. <laughs> That's it. At least not together, three words in a row. Uh, so who should the Mets hire? Uh, we'll get into all that as the morning boys rolling on on a Monday morning right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back into the morning, boys. Ryan Nicky and Mark Everett Kelly with you on this frigid, cold January Monday morning. Mother Nature is here. The winter, really winter we haven't really had too much, at least Long Island, New York area-wise, is unfortunately back. Um, no snow for the most part, which is pretty, uh, I guess, pretty good for the most part. But the cold weather is back, unfortunately. Don't really, uh, not too much of a fan of that. But at least, you know, with the killers now, the man coming back here, Mark, the Mets need a man, right? They need their man. They thought they had their man in Carlos Belichon. It ended up they did not. He was fired on – or, excuse me, he resigned on Thursday. Yeah. Uh, kind of like uh, we will uh, – we were, we were not going to fire you, but uh, you're not going to have a job. Your key card will no longer work here starting yeah. tomorrow. So we suggest you look elsewhere. Just like the Red Sox and Alex Cora mutually thought it was a great decision. Yeah, Alex Cora, I'm sure, yeah. thought this mutually was – Mutually after they wouldn't allow him in the building. Right. Uh, you know, yeah, we'll say it's mutual. You guys break up, but, you know, whoever no, gets broken up with the, always it's says it's mutual. Of the, it's not you, it's me. Right. <laughs> I invented the not you, it's me. <laughs> if anything, it's me. You, I invented the uh, – Okay, George, it's you. You're damn right. <laughs> that's what I guess – I'm assuming that's how the Carlos Beltran and the Mets uh, discussions <laughs> that's right. went down. Carlos Beltran said – if anything, it's me. All right, Carlos, it is you. All right, you're damn right it is. It's mutual. <laughs> he had such beautiful hands. I've never seen hands on a man like that. <laughs> but now the Mets, for the second time this offseason, are looking for their man, along with the Astros and the Red Sox. So three managerial openings. We're just spring training, just weeks away right now. And at least to me, the Mets are going about this the wrong way. I think their mindset and philosophy of what they want in a manager, personally to me, is not what it should be. And they want to go – Basically the same route they went when they first started the search initially, right? They went with a lot of inexperienced young head coaches – or young ma- – I keep saying head coaches – young managers huh. that um, – He's still trying to say the science-stealing scandal. I, I know. I, That's in my head, so I'm trying to avoid it as much as possible. So now I'm just slipping up other – it's huh. just – it's a Monday. It's a mess. <laughs> The show, the perfect game went out, the, again, the first two words Michelle, of the show. So Michelle was listening to the show the other day. She goes, did Ryan say something? And like she said exactly what you said. That was, uh, I, I forget, instead of the uh, 
we're here in the morning, but like you said something else. I don't remember. Oh boy. But she's like, I'm like, yeah, Ryan, a little, you know, you, you struggle a little bit, you know, you, you got a little. You know. I would chalk up as a tough day, but when every day is a tough day, I'm not really sure, you know. Yeah, but I you do you it so well, Ryan. I mean, oh, you yeah. might, you might so come smooth, by, you, so, no, no, so but, good. But hey, it's real, okay? None of us are smooth. No. None of us are smooth. I mean, I'd say you're pretty smooth. Uh, no. I tell you. Yeah. I am not when I when I can't remember things like who managed the Mets like at times when I'll be like Ryan, what's that guy's name? Um, you know, uh, the guy had a candy bar uh, named after him. I uh, played for the Yankees. Uh, you know, uh, yeah, Ruth. Like oh, that, that's took the me kind second of stuff. Like, what the hell is he talking about? That's the kind of stuff I screw. Like I, I miss the obvious things, but then I'll be able to tell you like who batted third in the <laughs> in the fourth game of the two thousand. Yes, that yeah, is yeah. that is the stuff you crush. No matter what the sport. Or the time or the decade. You absolutely, it's amazing. I remember when I worked at Computer Associates. Uh, I worked in the, the gym at Computer Associates. So I had you know, guys that would come down and work out, and they all knew I was a sports guy. So, And they would, they would come down there. They have their quizzes, you know, for me. And so they would just laugh at each other, and they'd laugh at me. They're like, Mark, you knew how many rolls of toilet paper it took. You know, it's like. That's not, it, doesn't, it's does not surprise funny, me yeah. at all. Um, but this is why, uh, this is why, at least why I think the Mets are going about the wrong way. So they're, they're going to have the same mindset and basically keep the came, same candidate pool that they had initially. Luis Rojas, Tim Bogar, and just other assistant coaches that they don't have much managerial experience. And again, they want to kind of mold them into the reason why, um, or kind of mold them into the vision of the general manager in the front office. This is why I think the Mets absolutely are going about the wrong way and need to hire a manager with experience. This situation is not a normal managerial situation. This situation is where you are hiring someone coming in three weeks before the spring training starts mm. in order to have to lead a team that has World Series aspirations, right? The Mets keep talking about when they acquired Robinson Cano, their window to win uh, is Robinson right now. Cano, come on. They went all in on Robinson Cano, Edwin yeah. Diaz, and they want to win now their window to win with the pitching staff that they have. And again, some of the aging contract and players, their window to win is right now. So you need to hire someone that is able to come in day one and manage this team at an elite level and take them to the next level. Make a caliber we saw was not the guy to do that. I'm not saying every manager without experience was going to be a bad manager. I actually thought Carlos Belcher would be a pretty good manager, and he doesn't have any managerial experience. But this is why I get nervous about hiring a first-timer yet again. You are three weeks or four weeks out from spring training starting. Mm -hmm. This situation is now rocked where you have a team without an identity with a coaching staff already in place that you were, was designed to fit Carlos Beltran. Now has to fit someone else, right? Mm -hmm. So to me, at least, if you have guys that are out there and available, Dusty Baker, which seems at least the Astros are going, to me is a smart route. Right. Buck Showalter. You have guys that have managed a Buck ton yeah. of games, have been in positions, and really aren't phased by anything that they have to face. Right. For that reason, at least to me, that's why I think they should go after an experienced manager because they need someone right now to come in and take charge. This right. organization thought they had their leader. Obviously, he was wrapped up in the Astros' sign-stealing scandal. Hey, and from there, you go. there we hey, go. Hey, hey. And now they need someone else to come in and step in. So to me, at least, it's such a tough position to put, let's say, a Tim Bogar in or an Eduardo Perez Eduardo. in. So, you know, some of these guys they, they interviewed the first time where they don't have any manager experience. So they have to adopt a staff instead of having a staff catered around them. And they have to get familiar with this, with this roster and this organization and their general manager in such a short amount of time that, to me, it's so tough for that to learn on the job, right? Carlos Beltran's hired in November. You have three or four months to kind of lay a plan in place, get a vision for the team, and get going moving forward with your plan in place. Now it's, listen, you basically, you get hired, boom, you're going right to Port St. Lucie. You are getting ready for spring training, right. and the season is right around the corner. 
it's just such a tough position to put a new first-time manager in. And right. this is a young team, right? This was a team like the White Sox or a team like the Marlins or a team like, you know, some of the Padres that are young and up-and-coming are not ready to win this year but have a chance, you know, in two or three years to really develop a core nucleus and be contenders in two or three years. Then fine, do that. Hire Tim Bogart. Hire an Eduardo Perez because guess what? At that point, then they can grow with the team. When you are putting a win-now situation where the World Series is the goal for the next one, two, or three years, you have to have someone ready that has their managerial acumen, that is, knows what they're doing, and ready to go now. Buck Showalter, Dusty Baker, those are my two guys I would hire. What about you? Yeah, I did see, I, I don't like the, uh, the retreads, uh, even though, like, Dusty Baker, to me, is a good manager, of course. I mean, you look at the fact that he takes his team to the postseason most of the time. Um, even if you look at the... San Francisco Giants, when he came on board in 1993, the first team that he had won 103 games and didn't win the division because uh, the Braves won a division back then. That was when the Braves and the Giants were in the same division. But I, I think just going from the fact that a guy like Baker, uh, to me, for a long time, Dusty Baker was considered one of the best managers in baseball, and that was because he um, would win. And I think his teams would get to the postseason. But then you had the under – like, he just, to me, underachieved in, in the postseason. A lot of times, Dusty Baker's teams were the better team or they would get themselves in position where they uh, were, were one game away from winning the championship and, or, or right. the, the series. And Dusty Baker wasn't able to get, to, to get it done. And I, I, I think that anytime – you have someone like that, it, it worries me. And especially in his last couple of, uh, of stops with the Reds, I think they had, um, they were up 2-0 in the series and wound up losing. Uh, that was it when the Giants wound up winning the World Series. Um, and you look at it, it's a winning record everywhere you went. Uh, it, you know, fi 540 winning percentage, okay? Um, excuse me, 532 winning percentage. Been to the postseason with the Nationals, been to postseason. I mean, come on, no, no better case of the Cubs, you know, where, right. where, where you have a series one kind of, um, you know, uh, with the Giants, I remember losing in 2000, the Giants won 97 games that year, losing the Mets in the first round. So uh, I, I think the last two, two times with the Nationals, losing with very good Nationals teams, not being able to win in the postseason. So if you want a guy to kind of just come in and calm everything down, fine. But I would be so worried in the postseason, Schultz too. Showalter, for as good a regular season manager he was, he was a, he's a disaster in the postseason. So many games he's blown. I mean, I think of the 95 playoffs against the Mariners. Uh, I think of the 99 playoff series against the Mets with the Diamondbacks, double switching with Lenny Harris, Matt Williams. Uh, you know, see, he's, he's, he's not a very good postseason manager. So I, I, I don't want those guys. Um, if you give me a guy that kind of has been like, I would take a Hensley Mullins only because he kind of managed with the Bochi. And, you know, he, he, he's kind of has that, that pedigree. Who's the other guy you were saying? Kind of Luis like Rojas. Yeah. Is, is there someone they interviewed? Tim Bogart is another Bogart would guy. be a, a guy. You know, you kind of, you know, a, a Met, you know, in the mid-'90s. I mean, but I, I don't know if I want a Showalter because just the fact that he wears, always wears the, you know, the, oh, the, the coat zippered up to here. And, uh, I'm like kidding. Uh, no, I, no I, I know deep down yeah. you're like, I don't want my manager looking like that. No, no, no. I have no problem with it. I, I, I just think I'd rather a younger guy to come in and, and I can I, – I, I like Beltran higher. I think if you – you know, especially 
uh, with the Latin players. I think uh, some of the Latin players on the Mets roster, they'd really be able to feel like they have someone um, they can relate to, someone who, that they feel like, uh, you know, can communicate with them better. I, I, I think if you bring in a guy like, like an old school guy, unless you bring back Bobby V, there's a guy I would take. Bobby, no. I would take Mark. Bobby V. I, I think he's I the athletic like director at Sacred Heart right now. You're going to take really? an athletic Sacred director. Heart. Well, hey. Back. If he does the eye black and the sunglasses. Oh, there after you go. Maybe. Gradual maybe you but can, seriously, uh, we talk about greatest Mets managers. He's up there. Yeah. We're going to bring back Art Howe. <laughs> Terry Collins, another yeah. guy up there. I mean, not, no, not at the Terry top. Collins, no, but, no but, but I think Valentine's entertaining. You know, he's an entertaining guy. Uh, he thinks yeah. he invented the wheel, and I, I think he did. Um I usually like. I know it'll never happen, but I, I, I Bobby V always entertained me. And yeah, that, Jim Harbaugh's entertaining too. Uh, Do you want him as your head coach of a football well, team? Well, for the Jets, I would. Yeah, I mean, Jim Harbaugh. Yeah, at well, least we ruins, get to the championship game. That ruins. Yeah. Well, that ruins the point, I guess. Well, at least Bobby, you know, at least for Dusty wait, wait, Baker and Buck Showalter would get you to the playoffs. That's what this team like. That's why. That's what worries me about a young guy. <laughs> to the playoffs, is yeah. that and they fall off, right? Yeah. Like you have to get to the playoffs. The, yeah. the playoffs are bust this year. Is that is that fair to say? Like they have a two or three year window. They have to. They have their chance to win the World Series before the pitchers get. Yeah, before before they have uh, to pay them and they get Degrom. Yeah. Yes. So it's like between Syndergaard, Matz, yeah. Degrom, Stroman. You have a chance with a young, still a young rotation that is under contract to win before all those guys get yeah, too expensive get and leave. Right, yeah. So the, the window's not wide open. You have no, Pete Alonzo, you have Jeff McNeil. Those are two young guys that are really good. But you don't have this wide open window where it's like you have another five years to contend. Like this is a – even three might be stretching a little bit. This might be a one- or two-year window where let's go. It's 100 – you know, foot let's on the pedal. Let's go Mets. Zero to 60, zero to 100 really. That's, but you're not, you're not concerned about that. I would, I would no, be I, I am a little bit. Yeah, now that you mentioned it, you know, you've made some good points there. I, I, I didn't realize it was like that because when you consider the fact that DeGrom and Syndergaard, yeah. So that, that's the thing that worries you, right? They're, they're built on pitching. A lot of their, you know, money is tied up in pitching. Well, guess what? Those guys are going to get too expensive and they're going to go elsewhere. No Syndergaard, you're not going to pay him a lot of money if, if you can keep him. Same with Steven Matt, yeah, right same with Marcus Stroman. Wheeler made all that money. Yeah, I mean – I'm glad the Mets didn't pay him, to be honest. I, I know. It's a lot of money. But I liked him. 18 years, I think, yeah. or 118 mil for five years. I know, right? I like Zach Wheeler, but you're right. He's not worth that money, and he hasn't shown consistency for a long time. Did Phillies sign him? It's like, did Phillies didn't learn <laughs> that, they've, you know, that they've already signed guys that they shouldn't have to big-time contracts? Uh, yeah. Listen, it's their problem, not theirs. I'm with you on Bam Bam Mullins. I would take, like, bam, bam. Being the current bench coach of the Mets, he already has familiarity with the roster and the organization, so that it kind of helps. It would be the most seamless non, um, or it'd be the most seamless managerial can you can hire without experience. Like you said, he's under Bruce Bochy for a decade, so I think that you could convince me on a guy like that. Other than him, to me, I think they should go experience only. It seems like the Mets are going the opposite track. They're going inexperienced, yeah. keep the same candidate pool they had the first time. And I, to me, at least it looks like they'll make a mistake. It could be wrong. I hope I'm wrong. But at least to me, because it's such a dire situation, the window is so tight. To me, at least I would hope they go experienced. But again, Mark, they're going to go more your route, going with a, you know Rojas, Tim Bogar, Eduardo Perez. Maybe they'll go Bam Bam Mullins, but it seems like they'll go with a younger guy has a higher upside, they hope, um, and that they can kind of mold uh, their vision and then their plan too as well. So if you have a call as we wrap up here, who you want to be, the Mets manager, 845-478-3272. We do have a call, Errol back after his phone oh, died earlier. Errol, Errol yeah. is back. What's going on, Errol? How are you? I don't know what happened to me. Yeah. I don't know what happened. Maybe Mark tried to hang up on me. 
No. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, we do know Mark. He is a, uh, you know, he does call the shots right here. So I think he gave me the sign <laughs> off camera, wink, wink. And just boom, the phone dropped magically. You're going to wake up with a horse's head in your bed. Well, I, I do want to get into this Conor McGregor thing. Okay, good. And I, uh, I wrote a story on our network. Hey, great story, by the way. I, I liked it a lot. Oh, thank you. And I was really, really upset at the state of what the UFC is putting out there at UFC 246. I don't want to hear about Holly Holm or Pennington being the co-main event. That fight was ridiculous. And if you look at where the, the state of the UFC right now, as a whole, there's only two superstars right now in the UFC, Conor McGregor and John Jones. And they both have to be the headliners of each card if they're going to sell and make what they expect to make from these pay-per-views. Mm -hmm. The pay-per-views right now are down 10% in the last three years. Now, maybe it's because Conor McGregor was out. Maybe John Jones being suspended for steroids. I don't know what it is, but the UFC for the UFC for the last few few years, I've been trying to find that next big superstar for another decade, and they can't find him. They can't find him or her. Ronda Rousey left to the WWE. Obviously, I had Demarius Thomas, who I think was one of the biggest superstars in mixed martial arts. They decided to part ways with him because they couldn't promote him. They couldn't build him up like they did for Conor McGregor. The state of the UFC right now, and that was a that was a ridiculous fight that they put him against Donald Cerrone. Now, Donald Cerrone has never been knocked out like that in his career, really. Never been knocked out like that. And for 40 seconds, for a pay-per-view to pay for that, I don't want to hear that right now mixed martial arts is not a paid... Uh, a, a, I, I think a lot of these fights are paid off. Okay? I hmm. think the UFC is trying to build up Conor McGregor as the savior... Again, because of where it is and where it stays as of right now, and they're a very inept co um, co um, company right now, organization, because they're trying to figure out where they're going to find that next guy, and there isn't. Now, over the last couple of years, guys, everybody's been saying the mixed martial arts, the UFC is taking over over boxing. Over the last past year, year and a half, there's been big superstars. Now, we all know about Canelo Alvarez. We know all about that. But how about the heavyweight division? The Deontay Wilder, the Tyson Fury, the Joshua. The, the heavyweight division has been at, at its strongest point that we've seen. At its strongest point. And, and then you're looking at guys like Errol Spence Jr. And Porter. And all these other, Garcia. All these other fighters that you're seeing. And, and they're big fighters. They're superstar fighters. Where, where are these fans thinking? How are these fans thinking now when you look at the state of the UFC and even Bellator right now, so Rory McDonald and all the different fighters that are coming out of Bellator? The mixed martial arts, mixed martial arts right now, as far as Bellator is concerned and UFC is concerned, Bellator is in a better situation right now for their fighters. The UFC is not. I don't want to hear, I don't want to hear it from all the other fans out there, the fans that are coming out saying that Conor McGregor. Conor McGregor is going to be the savior again for the UFC. Because right now, the state of the UFC is very poor. And Dana White, who is the president, who is the mastermind of the organization that everybody respects and thinks that he is a genius. Why is it that he's on YouTube, he's going all over the world, all over the country, and he's been bringing in these new fighters, and none of them have panned out? 
for you right now for the U.S. game. Like and they're not getting spank. their money's worth. Yeah. They're not. And that's what bothers me right now where the state of the U.S. is. I mean, what to your point, they need Conor, Conor McGregor is the star. He's the main attraction for all of UFC, right? He's the guy that pulls in the casual viewers. I know for myself, I am a casual MMA consumer. Anytime Conor McGregor fights, it's a must-watch for me. Other than that, if I'm out and it's on, I'll watch it, but I'm not, you know, dying to pay for these pay-per-views, to your point. So I think that fight, at least on Saturday, was, to your point as well, meant to build up Conor McGregor, got him back. It was kind of like an ease-in, right? He's been away for a long time. You have to build him up. You have to get a, a nice knockout early on to kind of get the hype back, have everyone think Conor McGregor is back. So that's why at least the purpose of that, I mean, to your point, it's at the the risk, you know, uh, of those paying the $60 or whatever it was for the ESPN Plus pay-per-view. But EFC needs Conor McGregor. They relied on Conor McGregor. That's why they keep, even though, you know, he says he wants to be done and he kind of runs the UFC essentially just because they'll do whatever he says. He's their main star now and you're right. They have to develop someone else, whether it's you know, I mean, it's, I have no problem with them looking. Like, you've got to keep on looking. you got to find the next star. you got to have someone that is not only as good as McGregor, but as vivacious, full of life, energetic, controversial. Like, they need – that's what makes him such a superstar, a worldwide transcendent superstar. So you need someone like that with that kind of mold and ability to capture even just a casual viewer and make them watch one way or another, love you or hate you. And to your point, no one's really been able to do that, really, outside of Ronda Rousey and, and Conor McGregor recently. Also, Ryan, they do have they do have good fighters right now in mixed martial arts and UFC. They have Ferguson and Khabib that are going to come up. It's going to come up in, in April, April, I think, 14th. That's the fight everybody can't wait for. That's the fight that everybody's looking forward to. Conor McGregor, what happens if Conor McGregor lost that fight? Let's just, let's, just, let's just look at it that way. Let's say Conor lost that fight and, he, and Cerrone beat him. Okay, where is the state of the UFC? Because if Conor loses that fight, his career in the UFC is over. Okay, he's done. Because to me, the guy lost the guy lost two fights in in, in less than uh, I think two fights in four in four uh, against four opponents. So he's lost two out of his last four fights. If he lost against Cerrone, that would have been three out of five. Okay, his career would be practically over because he was talking about implementing uh, and talking about being, uh, you know, being retired at the age of 30. The guy is going to be 31 this year. So to me, when you look at the state of the UFC, it's not in a good state of mind. And to say that, well, Connors are going to be safer. Connors going to fight. He's probably going to fight either Ferguson or Khabib. Or he's going to fight the guy that just bought, fought Nate Diaz for that uh, that ridiculous belt. I forget his name. Uh, he's going to fight him. He's not going to beat any one of those guys. He's not going to beat any one of those guys. Because they put him in. I understand what the UFC is trying to do. Dana White's trying to, trying to put him in against fighters that he can beat, where he can get his name back up there, where they can start pushing him off for that Khabib 2 fight, where he's going to lose. Because they're... To me right now, where the UFC is, it's especially in that division. And, and right now, Conor went up to the 170 division to fight Cerrone. Conor McGregor is a 155 fighter. Now, I believe that Conor believes that he can't fight at 155 anymore because he can't cut weight at 155 at his age. But being that he's at 170, the guys are stronger and better fighters than he is. He fought a guy like Cerrone whose age, he, he, his age is starting to catch up on him. 
as you know, he's fought more UFC fights than any fighter in, in history. Right. And this guy has been every every other card he's on. Every other card he's on. And Cerrone was talking all the crap that he wants this fight. He embarrassed himself because I believe he, the UFC paid him off to lose that fight. I don't know about it's, that. It's, I think I don't know. Oh, I absolutely off. believe it. I, I mean, they made the payday it. worth it where he'll take it knowing he'll lose. And I could easily see them matching up where they knew Cerrone wasn't going to be able to withstand McGregor, and he won. But I could see them where they upped the prize pool where, okay, you lose this fight, you'll get X amount. But I, wouldn't, I don't think Dana White literally handed him an envelope full of cash and said, hey, you're going to throw this. Well, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you feel that way because I watched the fight three times after the fight. I watched the 40 seconds over. That, first of all, the flying, sound like Lenny here. Everybody, the flying knee that caught him in the face didn't even really catch him in the face, which they claimed he broke his nose. The kick that knocked him down on the ground where Connor started overlapping on Fury punches, he didn't even collide. He didn't even hit him in the head. He hit him in the arm, and it knocked him on his ass. So, to me, I don't know what you guys are watching, but I watched the fight three times because I was so disgusted on what people were paying for and what people were waiting for. I went to Miller's Alehouse, and the place you couldn't even walk. It was like a club. You couldn't even walk. At the bar, there were six or seven lines of people standing behind. You couldn't even move in the place just to watch the fight. And you watched garbage, okay? That's what you watched. There is no way in hell Donald Cerrone, Cowboy Cerrone, got knocked out practically from a kick that barely hit him, okay? This is one of the toughest guys in the 170-155 weight class in the last 10 years. Okay, I don't care how hard Connor hits or how, how hard his left punch is. There is no way in hell. Just like everybody thought that he lasted 10 rounds against Floyd Mayweather. No, the only reason why he lasted against Floyd Mayweather is because Floyd let him win. Yes, and that is okay? totally different. But, yes, you're right about that. So, so to me, and now he wants another fight with Floyd. Floyd. Floyd has nothing to prove to beat his ass again. Okay, nothing. So, Conor McGregor has been out of fighting since that fight because nobody knows this. He uh, broke his, um, uh, what, what's that, eye socket. Floyd Mayweather broke his eye socket in that fight, and he was out for a year from fighting. Like, he, was out for a, he was supposed to be out for a year for fighting for that. Then his son was born, which that was the claim that he wanted to spend time with his family. And now his wife, I think his fiance is pregnant again. Oh. So. Yes. Uh, I, I, I want to know, Mikey C said you guys almost started a brawl with Ireland. I want to know about that. I'm sorry? Mikey C said you guys almost single-handedly started a brawl with the country of Ireland. I want to hear about that. Well, it, I don't know about started a brawl. It was, um, it was about two and a half, three years ago. Um, I, after, the, after the first Nate Diaz fight, they were going to fight again. And I stated something at the press conference when... Connor, uh, I think Nate Diaz threw a water bottle at Connor McGregor. Connor thought it was thrown at his wife. And after the fight where I believe Nate Diaz won the second fight, I stated the facts of what I thought about the fight, how far, when it went five rounds, stating that Connor McGregor has no stamina and that the way to beat him is to get out of the second round. If you can get out of the second round, you can beat him. Well, it started an uproar all over social media. I was doing the show called Case MMA with Kerry. Uh, she was my first co-host of that show before we parted ways because of everything that was going on with social media and um, the whole Conor McGregor thing. She was starting, she started a ruckus, and we 
had death threats throughout um, this is, this is Ireland and different fighters from England that know Conor McGregor that fought at a Conor McGregor's gym in Ireland. And they they sent us pictures of my face on um, of you in the news. What do they call those? Um, uh, on the bags? Boards? Oh, dartboards. Yeah, okay. Board. What do you call on them? Dartboards. Dart in a bar, in a pub in Ireland. So we, I went back and forth. Connor actually took a shot at me throughout social media, not stating the obvious of who we are because he didn't want to promote us. He's not, he says, I'm not promoting the half-assed radio stations that, try to promote, that don't try to promote me. He took a shot at me, and he took a shot at our network, stating, so I took a shot back at him. One of his fighters called up, told me that he would fight me for ten thousand dollars, ten thousand. Are you I, I, serious? I, I didn't know when. Like, I didn't know it went this deep. Wow, that that that's amazing. Yeah, it was it was it was a raw, it was an outrage of a war between me and some of the fighters that came out of his gym. And I told him, I have no problems fighting any one of your fighters, but you're going to come to America to do that. I'm not going over there to Ireland. So, or, or England, or wherever they wanted me to fight them. So, so how, how did Mikey C. instigate things a little bit? I mean, did he help? Mikey C., because uh, we got, after Cage Den MMA, I have a show with Mikey C. called Down to the Wire, and they were still calling the show, taking shots at me throughout uh, our show. Mikey C. kept calling leopard, calling them leprechauns, oh, starting, a, starting oh. to, uh, that you know, must have gone shots well. at their, Mikey, um, Mikey. their background Holy of cow. being Irish. And, oh, and you, know, Mikey, you know, Mikey has his own thoughts to whatever he wants to say. I don't have any control of what comes out of his mouth. Huh. You know what I mean? Wow. I state what I state. He states what he states. I had nothing, nothing to say about nothing. that. But um, the war between me and him is ongoing. I mean, I, I was at an event what was it, a year ago, a year and a half ago, and one of his fighters from his gym saw me there. We almost uh, we almost got into a fight. We had a yelling match. We stood between uh, different different fighters at this event, and I went back and forth. I pointed my finger at him. I said, any day, any time. Huh. And, Holy uh, cow. Hold on, I, I'm not sure I want to go places with you. Yeah, for <laughs> real. After this, we'll not be seen in public at Arrow Marks. We're, we're going to be knifed in an alleyway yeah. by some Irishman. We're going to get beat up. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't know about that, guys. You obviously don't know who I'm. Who I am? So. No, I. I oh, I. I believe you. No, you, me and yeah. Mark are worried that we're gonna be on the periphery and get like yeah, you know, yeah. like they'll see the weak guys first, take us out, and then deal <laughs> yeah. with that. So me and Mark are not gonna you know get ambushed here. Or I could only handle about f- four or five guys. guys. Stop, stop being babies, both of you. Relax. <laughs> we have a show to do. You know, we're not trying to get. You're not trying to get whacked. Who's gonna Who's gonna come to work if we get killed? Yeah, exactly. We're not trying to get whacked. <laughs> you gotta switch your. You gotta switch your uh, show name to the Morning Men instead of the Morning Boys. Cause you're acting like boys right now. The Morning Dead, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, that's what it's gonna be in a few hey, who, weeks. Who gave us that name? Okay. But, uh, <laughs> yes, that that is true. I did. All I right. Did. But and we do have to run with the show closing. We do appreciate not only right, not only your article but your story. And yeah, again, check it out. We will not see you in public. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Brian. Take care, guys. Thanks, Errol. Appreciate it. Errol Marks, again, our fearless leader over here at the World Art Sports so, Network. I, I broke down Connor a couple of numbers. We, yeah. Hater. I broke down a couple of numbers we could do for Thursday as okay. far as guys, you know, uh, Brady, Manning, Montana, Favre, Elway, Marino, Roethlisberger, their first four playoff games, and we can compare uh, Patrick Mahomes to them. That is our tease for Thursday's show. Thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, we do appreciate it every Monday and Thursday right here. Thank you to Ricky Hauser for sitting here and watching us all this time.
Thank you, Ricky, for, for coming on in and passing the test, more importantly. So we'll be back on Thursday. The Haystack is up next. Enjoy the rest of the week. We'll talk to you on Thursday right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.